I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. Ammunition, Santa. My family is completely unprepared for the home invaders. <laughs> Before we uh, actually started rolling, we were uh, talking about Representative Thomas Massey uh, and his various guns. You know, I think my favorite thing about this picture actually is probably the daughter in the middle with the Uzi. Wait, so yeah. where where yeah. is Representative? Raymond Massey, what does he represent? Uh, well, it's Thomas Massey. No, he's uh, the actor Raymond Massey from Arsenic and Old Lace. Uh, he's he played Abraham Lincoln. Kentucky's 4th uh, District, know. Yes, apparently. Apparently. that's a thing we all know. That's actually the Covington Catholic District. <laughs> oh, oh, no, there it is. It's all coming together, baby. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, is he a papist? Oh, uh, only one way to find out, I suppose. Oh, no. Is he one of mine? I do see that he spoke at the John Birch Society's 60th anniversary <laughs> celebration, though, so. I feel like despite being in that part of Kentucky, that, that does kind of rule out Catholic because the John Birch Society, as I understand it, are, are pretty pretty hardcore against the Pope digging tunnels from the Vatican right. to the White House. <laughs> right, exactly. Wait, so is the idea that the Pope himself is like digging those tunnels? Yeah, with because, hands. Yeah. yeah. The mole Pope. Yeah, that, that big hat is actually rigid and made out of metal. It's got like a like a spade blade to it. You, you, can, you, can, you can fire it up and make it spin. <laughs> like my hat is a practical. It's thicker the tunnel. <laughs> so many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Welcome to the Worst of All Possible Worlds, the first and only podcast digging tunnels from Vatican City to Odyssey, USA. There we go. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. I'm the worst, I'm of, the worst of all possible, possible Josh. God damn it, Josh! Not again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, joining us today is Nate Bethea, a.k.a. In These Deserts. He is a host on Trash Future and What a Hell of a Way to Die. He also works on Lions Led by Donkeys, Kill James Bond, and The Bottle Men. And as the person who does the technical side for this podcast, Nate, I have to say, how? That's so many. That's so many. That's a lot. Well, in fairness, I do split Bottleman with with Milo from Trash Future, and Kill James okay. Bond is only one episode per week. But yeah, it's a lot. You get used to, you know, you just kind of get into a, a work routine of staring at uh, Adobe Audition or your editing software of choice and just yeah. clicking a lot. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's my, it's my full-time job now. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, I've gotten very, very familiar with the Adobe creative suite and like different ways people's home audio can be screwed up and oh, what yeah. you can do to correct it. So, so far, may I say sounding really good, really clean. You guys, you, uh, you know what you're doing. So I'm very happy. Because sometimes you, you dial in and you're like, ah, is this a cell phone in the middle of the room with four people hanging out? <laughs> is this a cell phone at the bottom of the well in the middle of a meadow? <laughs> you pop up. I popped open my uh, Nokia from 2002, and we're all recording into it in premium yeah, exactly. quality. Uh, yeah, and um, I know, uh, Nate, we've been friends of online, I guess, on, on Twitter for quite some for, time. For a long time, yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I recall, I, I want to say, so I, I uh, you know, have been on Twitter probably for what, a little over 10 years now, and I want to say it was, yeah, initial couple of years, we uh, 
we have been mutuals. I'm, I'm, I appreciate you not unfollowing after, you know, various periods of me going completely insane because I live in Britain. Um, and, uh, yeah, happy to return the favor. Well, you know, we and we talked about this. Uh, Critical when, support for all people trapped in Great Britain. Th- that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, we, we, we talked about this, uh, Nate, when I was also trapped in Britain before. And so, like, I have that personal experience as well. And so I'm deeply, deeply empathetic to anybody who, you know, is in that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's been an experience. I mean, I did come here willingly, but then um, some stuff happened in 2019 and 2020. Right. The, you know, election in which in which the dread Jeremy Corbyn was wiped off the map and then also COVID. And so I'm just sort of stuck here for the next couple of years, at least, before I can retreat with my tail between my legs back to a country that sort of makes sense, but also a country where <laughs> congressional reps pose with huge guns. For <laughs> there is that conundrum of like, which is worse? And the question that I always ask myself is, well, it's more like, America is fucked up because we have this slavery constitution and it makes it as undemocratic as possible. So people want stuff to be different, but it's very difficult to change because of all of these levers put in place to make sure that stuff can't change. Whereas in Britain, you kind of have a similar situation with their electoral system, but by and large, it corresponds more to what people want. They want to be miserable and they want shit to be as bad as possible. They love it when it sucks. (laughs) And and it just, yeah. And and Josh, you having spent time here, you understand that when I, I was so gratified when you said that the description of Britain as like big Indiana or big Michigan rung true to you because genuinely I'm from Indiana and like, it's yeah, it's the, it's a hundred percent it. The entire population, take the entire population of California and Texas, combine them and put them into a combined land area that size the state of Michigan. That's it. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The wealthiest city on the planet is the capital and everywhere else is about the, the GDP of half of Mississippi. Right. Uh-huh. And it's co- everywhere in the country is Rust Belt. Yeah, it's it's grim, man. It's a really it also uh it is currently 4:14 p.m. in London and the sun has gone down. Right. Yeah. So like oh, down God. now like it's dark outside. Yeah. Sun sets at 3:55 this time of year. And so <laughs> I uh there were times when I'm like, man, I, I did this to myself willingly. This so speaking <laughs> of the Rust Belt, let's find ourselves oh, in yeah. probably the state of Ohio. <laughs> in a little town more likely than not. called Odyssey. Yeah. In, uh, Campbell County. Oh, God. So, Nate, you have no familiarity with this show. I correct? do not. I mean, I, I'm familiar now because I listened to the episodes right. that Josh sent me. I'm so I, sorry. I, I sort of wish I didn't have familiarity with it, but I am aware of Odyssey. Yeah. Welcome to my hell. And, yeah, so you, you did not grow up with Christ as your savior then. That's what you're saying. <laughs> no. So weirdly, so my, my, my dad is Episcopalian. My mom is Jewish. Their solution okay. to this was to basically not be religious at all in any big, mm. big meaningful way. And I lived for a period of time in New Mexico, so a lot of my friends were oh. Mormons. And I wait, where in New Mexico? In Santa Fe. Okay. I have experienced stuff like this, but all of it was Mormon church stuff, like oh, sure. Saturday's of Warriors course. and those radio plays and stuff like that. Like the like we've got to we've got to preach the gospel and go on our mission kind of stuff, which is similar. But this particular focus on the family and the way that it's like really hand in glove with kind of like love it or leave it American exceptionalism. That's, that's all new to me. And uh, before we, you know, dig into these episodes uh, in more detail, I'm kind of curious to hear Nate, like your thoughts about that, about the sort of initial, initial reactions and what sort of jumped out at you. Is this like taking a portal into a different world? Because part of the thing (laughs) is like, this is what I grew up with. I grew up actually listening to this shit as did Brian. We dragged AJ into this uh, sort of thing because, you know, being a Catholic, he, he didn't grow up with this, but you know, this is, this is something that we do on the show, this subseries Wits Endless Summer, which is all about unpacking these incredibly weird episodes of Adventures in Odyssey. There is an extent to which, you know, growing up with listening to things like Paul Harvey, you're familiar mm. with this kind of format and delivery, 
there mm-hmm. was a period of time when mercifully it has ended, but there was a period of time when my parents listened to Rush Limbaugh. So you're also Ooh. familiar with this kind of mm-hmm. like radio delivery and stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah. I guess what I would say is I, I was taken aback by how, how heavy handed the Christian and or patriotic messaging was when it came out. But by and large, this stuff is meant to be entertaining to kids. And so mm-hmm. at least in the, the episodes I listened to, it felt like the story did kind of take the front seat for most of it mm-hmm. but it, invariably it has mm-hmm. to come around at the end to beat you over the head with the yeah. patriotic messaging i thought the world war ii you know guadalcanal naval battle stuff you know that was that was interesting if very kind of potted history like it's just sort of you know i i, I looked up a couple places on the map made up some names that sound similar to the names on the map and then we just told yeah. a story about it but mm-hmm. I I realized that like yeah the, the if it was if it was full on you know cult messaging stuff it probably wouldn't be interesting to kids unless they were threatened with extreme physical violence and forced to listen to it and so in this case you could see how it's meant to appeal to kids sort of on its own um, but then like for example the 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 episode about the Star Spangled Banner reading the, the 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 later verses from the song and being like see god has always been a part of america and right. actually like you can't yeah. have america without god that's what makes it special like that yeah th- that, that that comes out of nowhere and it's just mm-hmm. sort of like it's like you've you've been given this you know decently decently satisfying but somewhat bland dessert and then at the last minute someone crams broccoli in your mouth and it's just like <laughs> right, that's yeah, usually I mean, chris's like the, function too yeah in, that's, in true. that's true that's true that's kind of it's just it's always fascinating to me that all the episodes that i usually like of odyssey have nothing to do with christianity or god or like you know the, those are usually the ones that are most entertaining and then in the last two minutes like you're saying Nate, like uh, chris just comes in and is just like here's a bible verse that's completely yeah. unrelated to everything that's <laughs> happened remember jesus loves you bye and it just it just feels so lazy, but yeah. I appreciate it because at least there it means there are some episodes that aren't solely about just like Christianity, Christianity, Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and speaking of which, this first one we get yeah. some lore, let's, let's, baby. Let's dig some into Whitaker it. lore. So so John Avery Whitaker is this sort of godlike figure in the town. Uh, Nate, this show is still running. So it started in 1987, and they are currently releasing new episodes oh, as wow. we speak. Um. Which means that John Avery Whitaker, the actor playing him, has died on more than one occasion. <laughs> Twice. So hey. we're it's on its it's on its third wit. You you here are listening to the very first wit, who was Hal Smith, who played Otis the Drunk on Andy Griffith. And uh this is the first we're getting any kind of lore about his life as an adult. We've learned a little bit about him as a kid. We we open this episode with kind of this meditation on age and time dilation. Mm-hmm. You know, Connie's like, I feel like I've been 16 forever. Um, that's how Connie sounds. It's Which is also kind of a meta yeah. joke, because at this point, you know, the show's been running for a couple years. And so she has been 16 yeah, forever. She's still 16. Odyssey really could be considered like the evangelical Simpsons. And much like the Simpsons, yeah. the later episode, the later seasons of Odyssey have really fallen off compared to yeah. what we're listening to here, which yeah. is like prime Odyssey. Yeah, yeah this <laughs> is the gold. This is the good stuff. <laughs> is, there, is, there, is there a cliffhanger at the end of the first wit of who shot Mr. Burns or something along those lines? No, you know? no he, he goes on an archaeological expedition until they find it. <laughs> another actor <laughs> <laughs> well um all, all i can say is coming into this that 
I was taken aback by yeah how it's obviously very professionally done. The only thing about it mm-hmm. that struck mm-hmm. me as being very of its time and dated were some of the expressions that Connie and Kurt used to sound like cool, like little kids. Yes. Like, like, oh, that's radical. radical. I'm I'm 37. <laughs> I was you know in grade school in the early 90s, and I remember this, and I can imagine adults who who want to sound like they know how kids talk back then, thinking that that you just have the kids say radical 15 times, and right. yeah, that's what they did. So, so Wit gets this letter. He gets a letter from an old friend of some kind. I thought the letter literally just said Manitouko Point. Like think, there was nothing I else in the letter but the is, words oh, okay. Manitouko Point. I think yeah, that's, that's actually the case. Yeah. It's, it's for the tontine. It's like, you know, everyone else has died. Now it's you and me. <laughs> Mr. Police. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of questions I have about this episode, just structurally, like what Reginald's yeah. whole goal was in sending this letter. Like why... Like at the act break, Chris is like, "Will Wit remember what happened?" And I'm like, "Yes." Also, he's reading. He's reading what happened it's in the journal. Memories. He doesn't need to. But I, I do like that it toys with this slightly more sophisticated idea of of age and like how your sense of time changes mm-hmm. over time and how that might resemble something approaching God's perception of time being this this being that exists outside of dimensions, everything. And then it's just like, eh, no, nah, it's a kind of a World War II story. So Wit starts reading his journal and we get a flashback. Thomas Lowell reporting on the world at war. Hell yeah. Line, August 7th, 1942. Guadalcanal Island, the first stop to Tokyo. Our boys of the 1st Marine Division battled against overwhelming odds as they drove the Japanese from this remote island in the South Pacific. And I just want to know why Wit has a newsreel in his flashback. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we get all of this uh, sort of montage of Wit being put in different uh, office assignments until eventually finding his post as a signalman on a boat in the Solomon Islands. And I don't know if anybody else got this sense, but I was like, 100%, we're going to get some war crimes in this. Like, we're going to get some, like, hardcore, like, We war don't crimes. even get war in this. We really like, don't. This is an adventure story. It's such like, an odd little story because they try to play the stakes up really high, but nothing happens in this episode. They find a guy and and... and that's and it. That's it. Uh, they find his, the guy. And then his Solomon <laughs> Islands child slave. And then yeah. they yeah. force him Oh, to do separate. you mean that middle-aged white woman? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the voice of Connie. Oh, uh, um, yeah. Who geez. also played the Maharaja in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. There was an extent to which I was just sort of like, what's the character? Is it short round? I'm trying to remember. Or or what is the <laughs> yeah. little kid in, in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Like? It is short round. Is short round. Yeah, no. I, I just, that voice, yeah. like... I don't know. You you can't expect too much, you know, uh, like precision in this sort of thing. But there was a part of me that cringed really hard when it was basically like this could be a, a child vo- voice actor playing the that helpful Korean child in an episode of Mash. But right, like, yeah. it's just the same right. voice. Like yeah. and that there, there was a little bit of I'm not gonna lie. I was just like, ugh, this is gross. Ugh, yeah, yeah, and it is just <laughs> it's real bad. Hey, let's, let's let's play a little clip of of, of oh, this little, oh, of no. them meeting this the little child, child of, that, of, of what meeting the child. Lieutenant Reginald Duffield is like doing his little heart of darkness moment out here. Oh boy. What's, What's your name, son? Malanga. You rescue party? Uh oh, rescue boy. party? Lieutenant Reggie in trouble. Japanese said bombs. So Reggie hurt. Uh, Do you know where he is? Yes, yes. Follow me. I take you to him straight away. So we don't even really have any idea of what Reggie is. We just know that we don't have any idea of what Malanga is. Yeah, um, Malanga is is a very interesting little uh, device. (laughs) I'm so upset. 
I feel like like even focus on the family knows that if you have a story about an upper class English guy and a small native boy <laughs> on an island in World War II, that the statute of limitations is probably still not up on that. So you oh really God. don't want to delve too deeply into it. That's not you're not wrong. Uh, um, excuse me. The, Malanga is the best friend that Reginald has ever had. <laughs> yeah. And so Reginald, I guess, has been unconscious in a cabin, but then they go to the cabin. He's not there. And Malanga then I'm is gonna very distraught. No, 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 no. <laughs> double it, double it, double it, slow it down, double it. Chop and screw it, seriously. And, Malanga. and then Malanga says, oh, he must be in his tea cave. Because yeah. again, he's doing his a heart cave. of darkness thing, but he has, I guess, this massive stash of tea in a cave uh, at Manitougo Point. So they go to the tea cave and then they found him. Yeah, they found the guy. That's mm-hmm. the that's the story. <laughs> that's the whole yep. that's the whole thing. And then again, we don't know who these characters are, but the writers are uh, still like doing an imitation of a war movie. So then they have this like tearful goodbye where Reggie leaves oh, Malanga. Yeah. And now go on. Go. Please, oh, Reggie. Go, Malanga. Get away from me. Get Get out of my sight. I, I, I don't I don't want you to go with me. Do, do you understand that? I I don't want to see you again. Go away. Malanga, I'm afraid go you have passed on, out of my out age of, of interest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I went into this episode expecting a lot. I was not expecting Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> Tell me, Malanga, have you ever heard about boarding school? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Malanga. You ever hang around the gym? Yeah, <laughs> it's just I, yeah. You I mean, watch gladiator movies. It, it's just one of those things where you realize the the kind of flat footedness is because it, like you said, they're trying. They they have to write a quick story that yeah cribs a bunch of tropes from other war movies yeah. and just kind of throws them together and makes it easily digestible. But then you know, taken out of that context and and you know, listened to as you know, just a sort of an object of storytelling. It's it's bizarre. And yeah. it's, it's really, yeah. it feels like you have to come into this knowing all of the cliches of war movies for this to seem in any way yeah. plausible or interesting. Yeah. It, and and yeah. the strange thing is with, with Gunga Din there, it, it sets it up so much. It plays this, this departure so hard, especially since you don't know who the characters are. And since this is a two-parter, you kind of feel like he's going to show up again and be like the plucky savior of the, the short round of the day. Um, yeah. But no, no, that's nope. it. That's it for no more Malanga. Um, <laughs> I have to ask, what is that from? What, what, that, what is th- that is that is Balaga from the musical Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, Nate, question question for you. What's your experience with like with war movies? Is that a, a, a genre that you watch at all ever or like? What, I mean, I'm familiar with a bunch. I mean, people may not know this about me if they haven't encountered me before but I, I i was in the military a long time ago and so there was there was a time like both because of like the sort of movies that are available for you to watch when you're wasting time or killing time in in, in you know waiting for something to happen uh mm-hmm. and also just out of interest you know to some extent and perhaps more critical interest after i left the military yeah like i've watched a bunch of them but i kind of avoid especially like new ones because Basically, every new American war movie is Stoltz der Nation from fucking Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> like, mm. it's just, it, I, I just, I, I cringe really hard at them. And so, yeah, but there's yeah. some older ones that are interesting. And obviously, like, there's the old standards that everyone knows, like, you know, watching Platoon or Apocalypse Now or right. um, 
Jarhead or stuff like that. Or right. um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones off the top of my head. Right. And, and, of, and of course, the the authors of these Odyssey episodes have such antipathy towards those movies specifically. Of course. They want more of the Audie Murphy story. Yeah. Yeah. John they Wayne, Sergeant the Gray, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Um, and they actually do an adaptation of Sergeant York in like 2017 on a Odyssey. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. well, that, that, yeah, I was going to say that doesn't surprise me that, yeah, the, the ones that they're going to gravitate towards are going to be those call it the sort of. And it's weird because it's not as though every war movie made before a certain period was just uncompromisingly pro-war. I mean, you can literally right. go back and watch yeah. was it, uh, the best years of our lives, which is not a particularly yeah. pro-war movie. And that was in like 1946. Uh-huh. So mm. that stuff was out there, but it's just that. Uh, yeah, I I think that this this fixates on a sort of us good them bad kind of binary view, and so the stuff that's gonna like I, I think I said it before, but I think yeah, something like John Wayne uh, doing the Green Berets or whatever, like that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the wheelhouse that this is supposed to be in, but just doing the the ch- Christian Child's version. I would just like to point out some truly baffling lines in this episode. Absolutely. Uh, at one point, one of I, I Wits travel. Well, first of all, the the voice actor playing Young Wit. Yeah, I think is really good. Like, I think he sounds like a young Hal Smith. He's, like, he's it's, able to capture Hal Smith's yeah. what? And I, th- I thought that was very good and very specific in a way that I actually found Duffield's British accent to be um, <laughs> <laughs> questionable at best. And yeah, I know it's, this it's, is—it's not good. It's—I mean, I, I, can, no. I, I obviously like—I'm not exactly great at doing English accents myself, despite living here. But I mean, yeah, it's—it's—it's it's, it's very obviously an American doing sort of like a pastiche upper class English accent. I yeah. mean, like you get what you're supposed to get out of the character, but yeah, it's <laughs> uh, yeah. He just he just doesn't pronounce the R, and then he says ah instead of ah. Yeah, but he says ah for every single Everything. vowel change. So he's like, <laughs> we don't have a plan, and I'm like, it's just plan, man. Say plan, <laughs> just yeah. say plan. In fairness, uh, they did capture two things about the British pretty well: their um, arrogance and their late pedophilia. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you yeah, know yeah. what? I thought I thought maybe we could keep the British audience no. from the last episode. Absolutely Maybe it was not. just a fluke, but no, no, we're doubling down. We're losing all no, of not your after own. my statements about Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> we have been ostracized. But uh, one of, uh, he, so Wit's traveling with like a whole like platoon of people. And um, <clears throat> one of them at one point says, uh, if it were up to me, I'd be back in New Jersey having pizza. Oh yeah, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I caught that one too. It was taking a little, it was like, They wait. do love their pizza there. Yes, that is what New Jersey is known for. Their pizza. (laughs) Cool. Well, also that guy having the sort of like, I don't know, everyman 1940s movie accent, you know, you would expect that he would probably have something more waspy on his mind. But uh, I I thought the voice acting was passable across the board. But uh, but but by and large, yeah, there were some weird things like that. And yeah, young young wit was quite I mean, whoever you said, the middle aged woman who does the child voices and who did Malonga's voice like that's pretty bad. It's pretty, pretty awful. But the, yeah, the and other she's characters... usually much better than that too. Like she's she's a longtime seasoned voice actor. I mean, I think I think she was kind of thrown a script where it's like, what do you even do with this? Honestly. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. The uh, so the episode ends with Wit just staring at a piece of paper that says right. Manitugo Point. And it almost sounds threatening. That's that's really why I thought there were gonna be war crimes involved. It was more like Never forget what you did. Yeah, kind of like, and that, like somebody was going to come for him, or maybe Malanga had written yeah. have, have this you letter ever to him. Seen this documentary called "The Emperor's Naked Army Marches On." 
It's kind of a niche movie, no, but it's, it's a Japanese cool. documentary from the 80s about it's it's an actual documentary. It's not fictional about a soldier from the Japanese army who was a private stationed in New Guinea. And he was in a unit where his leadership decided to execute other soldiers for what they some unspecified crimes after the war had been declared over. And he basically oh, wow. has turned into like a super hardcore anti-emperor, anti-war guy. And he goes mm. around basically finding these guys in civilian life when they're like in their 50s and 60s. And he's like, I'm going to ex extract revenge for what you did wrong because you you made us do wrong things and wow. numerous times on camera he assaults people that like he was in this unit with fuck. it's oh, completely fuck. it's one of the most insane intense documentaries i've ever seen in my life at the end he goes to prison for basically trying to kill the son of his commanding officer and like wounding him um he oh was at gosh, one point in prison shit. for shooting at the emperor like it's it's an intense movie but that I, it's a really niche reference but that was when you described that just just a cryptic letter with that name exactly <laughs> yeah. i was like oh wow right. I, that's a really they're really well read on this subject doing and the also, army watches on because and also because <laughs> it's set and like i said because the the place where he was in combat was in new guinea like it's once again the sort of you know japanese island hopping campaign south seas kind of thing so i guess like you said i was expecting yeah. there would be more of something to do with contact with the Japanese military. And that does happen in episode two a little, but only mm -hmm. kind of abstractly in the sense that like they get shelled, but then they escape. Right. Yeah. So let's get into episode two, the, the time that you actually see combat. This is a weird thing where they're not given the typical part one, part two, but they are sequential episodes with uh, different names. Right. They frame them almost as if they're unrelated episodes, which I th thought was just such an odd decision. Right. Yeah. Cause this I, is a two parter. It, it really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I looked actually at the title for this one and I thought we were getting a return of Doug Trio, uh, <laughs> who was uh, a character whose name we actually can't say uh, oh, from, yeah. from a much earlier his, episode. His name sounds like a racial slur. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, <Christ. laughs> um, but uh, we, we will actually have to talk about him again, unfortunately. <laughs> no. Why? Oh, Doug Trio. Um, but. Yeah, no, this was this was another very heavy lore episode for Wit and uh, saw the return. I guess Reggie Reginald now has two friends, Malanga and Wit, uh, right. because he finally finds him later in life. And he has at, three friends because his third one is, uh, oh, what a friend we all have. Right, uh, exactly. In Jesus. And we'll get there. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of the second episode, a British guy shows up at Wit's end and... Uh, it's like, whoa, who's this guy? Obviously, we all know who it is. Like, what the hell? We just listened like, to the The fact that it's the absolute next episode kind of right. takes that suspense out of things, doesn't oh it? Oh, my God. So dumb. I uh, really wanted him to open the door and say, excuse me, do you know any middle-aged white women I could befriend? <laughs> uh, okay, so I do have to say, Katie Lee at this point is still in her 20s. Right. No, ah, uh, gotcha. Uh, well, okay. now I feel bad. So Reggie then uh, leaves a message with Connie that Wit should come meet someone from Operation Dugout. Dig, dig, dig out. out. Sorry, yeah, dig it's out. More annoying. Uh, at Trickle Lake at two p.m. and uh, Wit's hate like Trickle Lake. Hate the name Trickle Lake. <laughs> and Wit's like. Oh, I wonder who it's this could be. It's an entire lake of piss. Yeah, it's actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the only civic works project the entire town has. Everyone got together and oh, they God. pissed a lake into existence. <laughs> that ma that makes the end. That makes when they're sitting on the lake at the end with like the splashing of the water on the shore. It makes it a lot worse if you just imagine it's piss. Um, <laughs> just crash. So so Wit starts relating. Uh, the story of his time in the Navy to Connie. And this is basically part two. Yeah, we um, get another flashback. No newsreel footage this time. Right. I guess they're regrouping on Rubaco Island and Wit's going to be on the landing barge. And um, 
you know, Reggie notices that John is, you know, one of those. One, you of, know? Those. Yes. one of those. I've got the clip of that. First of all, I just wanted to say, like, Reggie's first, young Reggie's first line of dialogue is just like, you don't have enough tea, or like, your tea right. is bad, because he's British, and his only, his only personality traits are tea and pedophilia. Which, yep. again, accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he, he spies wit, reading a, a, a curious little book. Say, what were you before this insanity began? A student. I was studying philosophy and literature at Duke University. Oh, bravo. An explorer of the mind and the heart. Plato and Milton. Uh, what's this you're reading? A, a textbook? Oh, um, no, sir. A Bible? Oh, you're one of those, then. <laughs> Depends on what you mean by one of those, sir. Oh, you know very well what I mean. A Christian. Yes, sir. So... Reggie, who loves John Milton, apparently, has no familiarity with the Bible whatsoever. <laughs> well, that's not that. <laughs> he's heard of Christians. He's read about them in National Geographic. And now, now that he's come across one. Also, like, I love that I love that he is English in 1942. Yes. Christian He's not really familiar with Christianity. And, and this is a thing that we have actually covered before. I went and grabbed a clip from an earlier episode where Connie is caught reading a Bible on the bus. Is that a Bible? Yeah. <laughs> you want a close, huh? One of the, that's one just, of that's their one thing. They all just think like, if someone sees you reading a Bible, they're going to think you're one of those. They got to be persecuted because somehow. They've, they've never actually seen someone read a Bible in person. Well, and, and they've never a heard of Christians beyond the abstract and so they're like oh one of those and actually here's a question that I have for you Nate which is as somebody who grew up in a part of the country that really is a lot like Odyssey in many ways mm -hmm. um and being did you ever say this to anyone yeah. you saw read it <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, oh you're one of those, oh, huh? one of those. <laughs> uh no no I mean like I was just thinking about this uh some of the stuff as I was getting ready to do this episode I was thinking about some of the stuff that I experienced growing up you know that like yeah. the fellowship of Christian athletes being a thing at school oh, yeah. and people leading prayers over the intercom at school and all like a lot of kids I went to school with being in young life and going on these Christian mm -hmm. retreats or being members of these like big mega, like evangelical non-denominational mega churches. Um, you know, my parents live in rural Southern Indiana now. And like, there's a gym that my wife and I go to when we were, we're visiting and they've got like, what I can only describe is get jacked for Jesus motivational posters in oh the gym. My God. Like it's a poster of, of like a, of like a dude doing a one armed pull up and, it, and then Jesus in the background with a crown of thorns. And it basically says, you know, something to the effect of like how sad it would be to be fit for this world, but not for him or something like that. Like it's basically Jesus's grinder profile says no fats, no femmes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically it's like, uh, so I mean like this, this stuff was all around and I genuinely think that if somebody was reading the Bible, it's like, Oh, is that a Bible? Okay. Like it's not, Right. you wouldn't know what that is right i feel like if you were if you were not a christian people might be that way you know well like, exactly my, oh you're one of those oh, yeah. you're one of those like one of my one of my good friends when i was in high school was muslim and she wore a hijab in school and like oh, yeah. that, she was the only girl in school who wore a hijab like my graduating class was over 900 students it was like 36 3700 yeah. students in our school so like wow, wow yeah we the idea of there being only one muslim girl student you know that gives you an idea of the level of diversity but it's it absolutely yeah. is not the case that anyone would be surprised when people are christian i mean like every people would wear not so far as to wear like like church you know like like motivational like moto shirts for jesus but like they would wear church retreat things or like you know uh church sports league shirts or stuff yeah. like that people wore crosses things along those lines right well, a we huge always Catholic had these, population you know these, so that kind of a thing 
these big over-designed shirts, especially in like the 90s, where like there was one that got kind of passed down from my brother to my sister to me that it's just a huge block of text over the front of the shirt. And it says something like, I'm not afraid to die for Christ. Hell yeah. Like each word is a different font. Yeah. I remember (laughs) when I was in Kuwait one time on my way doing, uh, going flying back to go on leave from Afghanistan. I remember seeing a guy with full forearm tattoos that basically, uh, I can't remember what the other one said, but I think his right arm, it said something like, or his right forearm said like, I am not afraid to announce my belief in the, in Jesus Christ or like, I'm not afraid to believe in Jesus Christ or something like that, but in like huge block letters. And like, <laughs> that's a level of intense that I didn't really see that often. I know it yeah. exists, but like you had to really be into young life and stuff like that. And one of, one of yeah. my friends left Indiana mm-hmm. and moved to Georgia and weirdly like the not Baptist people were more like that, like that right. stuff. But that, mm-hmm. that, While I didn't grow up surrounded by that stuff, it wouldn't really have been out of the ordinary for someone to be that Christian. And like, it would have been a little bit weird, but people wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been so novel that people wouldn't understand what it was. You know what I mean? Did you ever have any experiences where like people found out that you did not love the Lord and, uh, you know, they, they, they proselytized proselytized to you and tried to save you? Bro, bro, when I was in middle school, I mean, like hilariously, a little bit of backstory. My wife is black and she's made the point before that a lot of her French people she's known growing up are are mixed race. And she's like the two people who can always tell if you're, if you're mixed race are black people and Nazis. And it's the same thing (laughs) if you're Jewish. Like I have, you know, my mom, my mom is Jewish and I have some Jewish background and I have uh, uh, practiced Judaism and like the only people who could mm-hmm. ever figure that out were like other Jewish people and Nazis and like some kids <laughs> in my middle school Jesus. found out and like were like a- like messaging me on AOL instant messenger like we're going to send you to Auschwitz it's Jewish hell or Jesus. something like that Holy and I told my uh, I told my middle school eighth grade uh, yearbook teacher about this and he, was, he tried to get me to convert to Christianity like he tried to fucking Whoa. proselytize to me in that moment oh my god and you went to a public school right yeah yeah I was in fucking I was at Clay Junior High in Carmel, Indiana, man. Like, not, not a religious school. Like, yeah. So That's I grew up unreal. with like, like, you grow up with it to being that common to the point where, and like the only people who, you know, I, how to put it this way, like, like there wasn't any pushback to it whatsoever. So, like, the idea of this being your sort of persecution narrative, like, it's very funny to me because, like, right, I remember yeah. someone getting really mad at our school because someone had defaced a sign because at my high school, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes had put up a sign that basically said, like, you know, something FCA, you don't have to be an athlete to join. And someone came and wrote, you don't have to be a Christian either. Dude. And they got really mad about that. And it's so <laughs> innocuous. Like, who fucking yeah. cares? Right. But yeah, that Ugh. that level of... um. And it's not like I was I was religiously observant. My surname is not like not that it really matters because it really depends on where you are in the world. But like my right, surname yeah. isn't, isn't immediately identifiable as being Jewish. And like, yeah, but people found out and like, yeah, for some reason. And the teacher was a nice guy. But for some reason in that moment, he thought that it was appropriate to be like, I, you should have you considered That's you know, incredible. learning more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ <sighs> or whatever the fuck. Just, uh, you know, some Jewish people save themselves by converting. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm going to help this young man out. And, and yeah, and, you know, I was like what, 14. I mean, like, it's just one of those things where where uh, if you're if you're not from that part of the U.S. And I feel like, yeah, yeah, like on mm. the East Coast, it doesn't happen as much. I don't think so on the West Coast, but certainly in Midwest, the South, like the Rockies, that kind of stuff like you will encounter this and this is just kind of normal. Well, and I feel Uh, like for, for, for Judaism in particular um, with, with that sort of Midwest thing, it's, it's either like the anti-Semite Nazi shit 
Mm-hmm. Or it's the weird like uh, fetishization, uh, yeah, yeah, or or, or some semitism, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah. some combination of the two, which I think is probably right. the most common thing. But um, yeah, that that's definitely something yeah, that like I, my uncle who keeps trying to find our Jewish ancestors, right? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I would I would also say that there there is a little bit of of the proselytizing at least in Southern California. San Diego is a pretty really? mm-hmm. uh, yeah, conservative yeah. like. Uh, town, uh, all things considered. And I went to Catholic school, so I mean, that probably doubled it down. I mostly kept people away from proselytizing to me uh, because I wore a shirt that says, Jesus loves my cum gutters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, if you live, I would say, uh, Josh, I know you live in New York and you've probably been approached, you know, that that if you're, basically, if you're a guy and you're white, you if, if, particularly yeah. on Thursdays and Fridays, it's entirely possible that Hasids will approach you and ask if if you're Jewish because they I've want actually, you to believe it or not, I've never been approached to really? join Zmanian. That's a hundred percent. I was going to say, I, 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 I would have guessed, quite frankly, if you hadn't said you were Catholic, I'd be like, oh, I wonder if he's Jewish. You know, like, it's yeah, just, no, no, absolutely. Uh, and I, I've been approached many times. I, I don't know. That's I don't so think funny. I look really like I've been cast in things specifically because I was the most not Jewish looking person. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're like, someone could find. you are very much somebody who would be cast as a Nazi. Like, yeah, that's just, <laughs> and, and, and have been, yeah. Yeah. My Catholic school inadvisably did the diary of Anne Frank in uh oh. my junior year. So I I played I did play Otto Frank and it led to a bunch of uh I had I had a, I didn't have a lot of bullies but I did have a few ones and they decided that AJ uh actually stood for anorexic Jew uh is what they would call me behind my back. Oh like sorry man. Fuck no no it's okay. I just fetishization of Judaism I think doesn't really happen in Catholicism as much as it does in uh, in other Christian religions. Yeah. I feel like it's just old, good old fashioned anti-Semitism. Yeah, well, and that, that, that I think in, has in a lot to do in with in terms of evangelicalism with the uh, millenarian eschatology around the end times yep, and this idea yeah. that there's going to be the rem- remnant of exactly 144,000 Jews and nobody else who gets saved yeah. at the end of the world and that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I was thinking, because I mean, being from Indiana, Mike Pence being our governor at one point, like that, that is definitely a strain of stuff that exists yeah, there. Yeah. And I mean, living in the United Kingdom too, there's been a lot of, I mean, it's, it's not really in mass culture, but it's definitely, if you're on social media at all, there's this weird kind of like, yeah, philo-Semitic oh, it's, uh, fetishization and sort of like adopting being like, oh, I'm, I'm an honorary Jew because uh, I hate the left also and et cetera, et cetera. And like, it's basically like a cipher for people to claim that, that they're being persecuted against because people right. are racist against white people and right. specifically against yeah. the English. And like, it's just, it's weird and incomprehensible to me, like having, like I said, I've lived in this country for over three years, but that phenomenon, I'll never understand it, but I do see some of it, like you're describing, like that there's this, there is this weird kind of like secular version of like biosemitic fetishization. And then there's also the evangelical, like I said, well, we need you to all make mm-hmm. Alia so that, that the end times can happen and you can, right. some of you can get yeah. raptured and the rest of you will all die. And it's, <sighs> yeah, it's weird. It's really, really weird. Um, and to go back to that one of those thing too, you know, oh, you're one of those, is that there's this constant push, at least in the strain of evangelicalism, uh, that's all about, this perceived persecution and and mm-hmm. it's a, a again it's another fetish it's a fetish of being a martyr yeah. right it's like being yeah. persecuted for being a christian in a country that in 1940s is majority christian yeah. um in the 1980s in america it still is majority christian um that i don't think is quite as present in you know you talked about like uh being in santa fe and the mormon kids 
I, I don't think it's as pre- prevalent in in Mormonism, mm, even though no. I mean, like Joseph Smith was killed, you know, 150 years ago. It was like much more recent actual martyrdom of people of their faith. Um, and and I also grew up in New Mexico. Okay, right on. So that that was also not a common thread among the Mormon kids I knew. But of course, all the Christian kids were always like, yeah, I'm, "I'm not afraid to die for my faith. I'm not afraid to." And and it it also became like the new form of martyrdom was telling everyone that you were a virgin. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. And promise rings and stuff like that. Do you remember? I'm not uh, afraid to tell everyone that I'm a virgin. I think we're close in age. I was 14. I was in eighth grade when Columbine happened. And I think it was later mm. determined mm. that this was not true. But the story about like one yes. of the shooters killing Cassie a grassy Bernal. girl. We yeah, were talking she, about this the other yeah, day. Yeah, we're going to do an episode about that. Yeah, that like, are um, you Christian? She said yes, and so he killed her. Like, I remember reading yeah, that in yeah. fucking Time magazine, and I, I recall that that was later determined to just not be true. But wow, I, did, like, I didn't know it had admitted all the way to Time. I thought yeah, that was just uh, yeah, more... It was like, a yeah, yeah, story yeah, of yeah, national interest, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it, it's just um, that martyrdom, that that being singled out. And I mean, and bringing back to the, to the content of this episode, yeah. the idea that an upper-class English guy who's, also, who's a knight of the realm, they call him Sir Reggie, wouldn't yes, know right. what the Bible is. Like, there were no <laughs> secular boarding schools in this country. Like, there were no secular public, what they call public schools, like what we call private schools at all. Right. Like, that's a post-war thing. And they're not even really all that common. They're still like notionally Church of England in a lot of ways. Like, right. Yeah. It, it, like, that, yeah. Like he learns as an adult that the Queen of England is the head of, of the <laughs> Anglican Church. And he goes, oh, so she's one of those. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, did he black out during his knighting ceremony? Just like, he is just that God fucking strong. It's literally he brews it so bitter that it erases his memory. Right. <laughs> Um, well, let's 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 real quick kind of run through the remainder because not a lot honestly happens in this. Yeah, episode. I don't actually have any other clips from um, this episode. I'll just kind of I'll just kind of uh, run through it. Um, I just I, love that Wit constantly has to reinforce that he doesn't know any British people. Yes, like he's <laughs> um, just like he knows a exactly British accent. Well, that's here? the other thing. That's the other thing that's so weird about how earlier he's like, hmm, I wonder who that could be when he knows exactly Which, one British Scotland. man. Yeah. He's from Scotland. How does he not know any British? Ten years of his life in and Scotland. And I, I gotta be honest with you that if I get this cryptic message that a British guy wants to meet me at the lake at exactly two p.m., there's a part of me that's going to wonder if the elephant hunter from Jumanji is going to show up. Like, <laughs> Um, but he walks into it so guilelessly like you said so clearly he knows that it can't like he's like oh I wonder who it could be I'm really confused but clearly it can only be one person or he's going to die because a time traveler with a huge gun is going to fire him well because what ends up happening has a derringer tucked into the sleeve of his tweed jacket (laughs) what ends up happening is that um, you know they they have this barge and they're going to land but then they get shelled from the island and um, Mm -hmm. Wit actually jumps in front of of incredible Reggie in an attempt to like save his life, I guess, and gets knocked out by a shell. And then the next thing we know, we are back in uh, a hospital and he is being told that he's going to get nominated for a Purple Heart uh, for Acts of Valor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Incredible Reggie has already shipped out. Uh, and that is kind of how that ends up happening. Wit almost became a martyr. And that very uh, act. There of, is this sort of death wish right. kind of built into this episode. Like, yeah. And then what we the, learned like death drive, really, like this whole like uh, because Christ has put this in. Right. Him, this, this martyrdom cl- complex that made him right able to be brave enough. And, to and, and that's exactly then what get uh, Reggie says when they meet up at Trickle Lake with T, uh, which is he says um, Reggie says that. He came face to face with two important truths. Number one, living on this planet is a temporary condition. And number two, 
uh, with bravery was because of Bible. And um, <laughs> mm -hmm. that is why Reggie was actually inspired to become a pastor. And now he is shepherding a, a flock uh, at some church in, you know, the, the, the country uh, in England. And uh, he wants Wit to tell him more about his parents' faith. And then Chris wraps it up. The message is always be planting seeds. And that's the yeah. end of the episode. And, and, yeah. And so Wit was made a war hero by God. That's really the only right. thing that can make you a war hero is God. Is the Lord, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the MIDI in these episodes is so out of control. It's, <laughs> the music never stops. I love the constant the constant um, variations on Anchors Away that plays throughout these episodes. Uh -huh. Just in case you forgot that Wit's in the Navy. Um, it's so fucking and, and good. Wit, uh, this is where we get the canonical information about Wit's slight ear disfigurement. Right. And the scar on his knee that apparently gave him a limp for a while that he worked out. Um. Yeah, these never come up again, but oh, good. Know, it's it's there. It's there for the fans. Uh, when Reggie and Witter having their conversation on the shores of Piss Lake, uh, <laughs> there's there's a point where it kind of sounds like Reg would you like to add an inch or two to the depth of this thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would be my pleasure, sir. <laughs> uh, but give me some tea first uh, in memory of my one friend, Malanga. Uh, <laughs> but there was a uh, so uh, it did kind of sound like Reggie was plying wit for information about his parents so he could steal their gold. Like, <laughs> like he was really insistent about finding out about his parents' faith to the point where I was like, what do you want from Wit's parents? Like, what what do you know that I don't, Reggie? I would have forgiven this episode everything if Reggie had sat w drinking tea on, on the edge of this lake and been like, we need to do one last heist. You know <laughs> yes. what I mean? Like, like really getting like the band back Which together. Which is and kind of what later episodes of Odyssey will do. Mm -hmm. It's always like, let's go on a new archaeological expedition. Well, and then there are um, actual adventures in Odyssey, uh, I, I which is do. nice. I do actually have to say I kind of like the moment though. I like them just sort of sitting there and talking Me too. about age and it, you know it's a little bit less like oh we're making this for children now. It's like I actually want to write this scene and and develop these characters and talk about who they are. Uh, does Reggie become like a recurring character? Like do we see? Not him? at all. You no. never see him again. And oh, also, that kind of sucks. In terms of like later, like the way that the show ends up later on, once the mm -hmm. show comes into its stride a little bit, and the and the writers actually write in a way that resembles writing, yeah. um, they there are especially Paul McCusker. Paul McCusker, especially there, is, there are actual moments where they allow for character development and just like let characters sit and talk with each other and just explore who those characters are through dialogue, which is that that's yeah. just actual good writing. I, I also would say that the, the the combat sequence with him trying to get them off the boat before they get shelled or even in the previous episode when they start mm. kicking incoming and like they have to, to hustle out mm -hmm. like there is some genuine tension in there. Like I, I, mm -hmm. I that's the thing is that if this was just complete dog shit, both technically and also mm -hmm. in the way that it's assembled, it would be much easier to disregard because, yeah. you know, then yeah. you just be like, OK, this is campy. This is throwaway, whatever. But the fact that like some of it is pretty competent and then it's also just bizarre. Like I kept thinking back about him missing the top of his ear, but it's like, but this guy is a, a evangelical Christian Navy veteran of World War II. Do you really think he would wear his hair long enough that the tops of his ears would be covered ever in his life? Interesting. So that is how yeah. that is how they depict him. It's it's really interesting. The official character art for Wit, he has kind of 
shaggy-ish hair. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Um, yeah, like that's because you just would yeah, never. Yeah, he's not a very military that. guy, and I think it's based on Hal Smith's actual hair. And and Hal Smith mm. served. He was in the Pacific Theater in the Air Force. Oh, Got I didn't it. know okay. that. Um, as far as I know, I was trying to look through a lot of the older guys that were on the cast. I, I don't know if any of the other ones served, but Hal Smith certainly did. Huh. The, the writers of this show did not. They're all yeah. sort of younger what? baby boomers. No wild. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to believe. And, and I think this is part of that whole baby boomer thing, right, where th- their parents are such heroes to them and right. their involvement in yeah. World War II. And they grew up seeing Audie Murphy on screen um, without really engaging with like what Audie Murphy himself was like trying to advocate for and dealing with his own personal problems related to PTSD. They have this outsized image of what their fathers did in the war that also creates a lot of the wave of reaction to um, the anti-Vietnam war protests that come along. And we'll talk about that uh, towards the end of the episode. But I think right now is a good time to lead into our break. Yeah, let's take a break. It's a me, the Pope, again. Do you like the smell of fresh earth? The feel of wood in your pinchy, pinchy claws? Do you need a digging tool strong enough to dig a tunnel between the continents, but soft enough to not ruin your popa milking hands? Then might I suggest the Trowel of Turin, the only trowel officially licensed by me, the Pope. Unlike a normal everyday poo-poo trowel, the Trowel of Turin is the only digging tool you can wear as a hat. I'm wearing mine right now. Who knows when you gotta dig? It comes in three exciting colors. Gray, off-gray, and gilt. So buy yours today, so you too can attempt to escape your eternal enslavement at the hands of the ice cream industry, who hook you up into a machine every day and night to drain all the popa milk from your thorax, and hopefully lead your popa family to a better life in America, while no one will tie you down to a table and coax you into producing delicious, delicious pop's milk, until you say, I can't, there's nothing left, I'm a shell, there's nothing left to kill. And they will laugh and say, there's always something left. There's always something left to kill. So make your life a little more holy, <laughs> a pope of humor, and buy the Trowel of Turin today. The Trowel of Turin. When you're stuck in a hole, might as well go down. So at the beginning of By Dawn's Early Light, which uh, I have to say because the date is going to be important for this one, it aired in April of 1991. Okay. Okay. Uh, we meet Lucy Cunningham Schultz after a we, very jazzy intro. Yeah, and we meet Kurt, who is not the same character as Kirk, right? Who is the child of of the man killed in in Vietnam? Yes. Uh, this is Kurt, who is a different character. And, He's sort of a recurring character too. And Lucy and Kurt are both probably around eleven or twelve. Um, they're they're, yeah, they're they're middle school students. Yeah. yeah, it's nice to see that these characters are now returning, uh, like recurring. Uh, Nate, for a while, there there have been a lot of kids that have we've sent through what we call the no no door, which is uh, <laughs> there's a there's a room at the back of Wit's End where they send characters who don't come back. Uh, <laughs> so it is nice to like actually see like kids yeah, like they, that you know from like other episodes. They didn't lean a lot on the idea of recurring characters, especially recurring child characters. Um, I was learning a little bit about the production history of the show. They paid $50 an episode. That was it. So this this completely Criminal. went around the union. Yeah. The actors kept doing the show. The older actors just sort of did it because how was the union even going to know about this radio show that was being produced? 
Um, and so with kids, they didn't know if they wanted to keep the kids around. They didn't know if they would be able to get the yeah. kids the next time. So they just kept writing new kids. <laughs> um, but then we started getting a few recurring characters like the Barclays, like Lucy Cunningham Schultz and like Kurt. Brian, did and, I ever did I ever speaking of being a kid on a radio show? Did I ever tell you that I was I was never on Adventures in Odyssey, but I was on a show called Down Gilead Lane, which was produced in Grand Rapids. Which was like no, but what? I've heard of Down Gilead. Lane. That show was like sort of an answer to Adventures in Odyssey from I don't remember who produced it, but I was on an episode of that one time in very similar we, situation. We need an Adventures in Odyssey that's not written by coastal elites. Exactly, um, uh, Josh. We we need to find that. Very I'm similar. Gonna say right now. I, I think we I think I have the episode somewhere, but right. um, very similar situation. You know, everybody's kind of working for scale. It's not not a big gig. No union, obviously. Blah 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 blah. That's kind of how you do it in the marketplace of free ideas. Anyway, yeah. um, now it's a, a SAG after production. This episode starts with Lucy talking about the the recent spate of of flag burning, and she doesn't <laughs> understand why it's such a big deal. To be honest, I really don't see what all the fuss is about. I mean, a flag is just a piece of cloth, and the First Amendment does guarantee free expression. It does. Yes, Kurt. <laughs> And Kurt, by idiot. not knowing that the First Amendment guarantees freedom of expression, joins more than, half, more than half of Congress at this time, <laughs> uh, which we'll get into. A My little understanding bit later. is that the First Amendment uh, is the amendment that tells you that you can do whatever you want without consequence. That's that's yeah. my yes. understanding of the yeah. First Amendment. That's what Lucy thinks. The liberal cuck. That she is. Uh, I also like that they describe the protesters who burn flags as a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> if only they'd call them sickos. <laughs> yeah, so so Kurt and Lucy are in the Imagination Station tinkering around with it. Lucy has never used the Imagination Station up to this point. However, she has been horrifically injured by it during the applesauce saga. Oh, that's right. Um, so to give you a little bit of background, I think we gave you a little in our dossier Nate, the Imagination Station is a simulator like the one Lisa Simpson imagines her school getting when they get that budget shortfall Ah, where she can, you know, kill what Genghis Khan kills. They can experience moments in history, which means the New Testament and 1776. It's the holodeck, except that they don't know that it's a simulation. I want to ask you what you think this machine looks like. I genuinely thought that it was like a museum they went to that just had interesting, like a display with buttons on it, but the machine then transported them through te- through time. Like mm. the impression I got from listening was just like, oh, let's go to this, let's go to the, the children's museum like or that. something. But it's like, instead of it having like an early 90s cathode gray tube display or something, like it actually transports mm-hmm. you through time somehow. But kind of violently, like there's this really intense noise yeah, that it makes. It, yeah, they're, they're, they're like rent asunder as they're traveling through time yeah Each absolutely it, it's, it's, it, it sounded like yeah like um like they've they've engaged warp nine or something and it's just yeah. like blast yeah. lines are all around them but conveyed through audio form but you don't go to warp 10 because that going to warp 10 puts you in all places in the galaxy simultaneously and then eventually turns you into a weird frog creature yeah and you yeah. have to have sex with the other weird frog creature to procreate the species that doesn't happen until the Novacom saga. <laughs> the Imagination Station is shaped like a rocket, and mm-hmm. it is in Wit's Bible room here at Wit's End. Um, and this, of course, is a great Bible story that we hear about. Yeah, um, the War of eighteen twelve. One of our one of our favorite favorite uh, religious documents, obviously the uh, 
the the national anthem. Um, let's, let's, <laughs> our, our great victorious expedition in the second war that we ever took and the second war that we ever won, <laughs> which we definitely won. Definitely we did won. great here. Um, let's uh, let, let's kind of dig into it. So they get whooshed. Um, Lucy uh, meets some uh, some some Brits inside of the thing, and she's like. And this is something that always happens with these Imagination Station episodes. She doesn't understand where she is. She doesn't understand that it's a simulation. She thinks that she's like just gone into another room, I guess, somewhere. And is like, they're asking her if she's with the Madisons uh, because they've just captured her city. And she's like, oh, you've captured Odyssey. But no, it turns out they've captured Washington, D.C. and they're about to burn it down. Dear God. Yeah, what are these yep. accents? Lucy five minutes ago was like, I don't know. It's just a piece of fabric. What's the big deal? And so now God and John Avery Whitaker are going to show her exactly <laughs> what the big fucking deal is right. by fucking like holding her eyes open. Yeah, clockwork orange style. And burning the White House in front of her. Absolutely. So, so like the commanding officer, I think it's Cockburn, right? <laughs> it's 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 not Cockburn, actually. It's Coburn. That's how that name is pronounced. Yeah, they don't know this. The writers of Odyssey don't know that his name is Coburn, so they keep saying Cockburn throughout it's, this whole thing. It's cock fucking great. Burns. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so fucking good. You shouldn't have stuck it in the White House, Josh. <laughs> so, so the lead officer is Scottish, is Irish, is they're all they're I all purportedly Irish for some reason. Yeah, yeah. like oh yeah, you know who the Brits really like put into positions of authority in their military? The Irish. That's <laughs> There's something one thing they did. I know about the Irish is that whenever they land on our shores, buildings start burning down. The fabric of America begins to tear. We can't lose Ireland. Uh, I'll take Ireland over England any day. Oh, yeah, you know, no, oh, we're no. not going to lose Ireland. I just want to lose the Irish Americans. God, oh, for sure. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, if you're in, if you're if you're in Queens, especially those parts of Queens, <laughs> fuck you and fuck your mother. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, your Boston accent is really coming along, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, as Lucy is, you know, meeting these British people. And this is the White House. Is that what he calls it? I thought it was just the president's <laughs> mansion. Well, no matter, it shan't be white for long. Bring the torches! Yes, sir! Torches? What do you need torches for? You can tell the synthesizer's a lot better. Fire, of course. Torches ready, sir! Proceed! No! No, please! I won't let you! I won't! Mistress, Lucy, mistress, stop! Stop it! It's, it's done! No! Ah, man. It's only a building. Only a building? So she's immediately learned her yep. lesson in the right. most traumatizing way Which possible. Is, they I do like that this guy is like classic old Protestant. He's like, you know, you just got to store your treasures up in heaven. And she's like, no, our treasures are on earth and they are the United States of America. <laughs> uh, Nate, as a, as a proud American, um, what thoughts went through your uh, mind and what feelings did you experience as you listened to the White House burn in this episode of Adventures in Odyssey? 
Mm. Ah, mm. Yeah, I'm torn between my my urge to scream "fuck off, Limey's USA" and the fact that uh, <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, I mean, it'll burn the fucking thing down too. Whatever, guys. You know, you don't want the British Canada to be right. Be That's ours. the problem. You right, know? right. No, yeah. 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 The biggest, the biggest affront. There's no good guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's Irish, so you're fine. yeah, yeah, and Scottish, Scots Irish, <laughs> Northern Irish, Northern yeah. Irish. Yeah, <laughs> the worst yeah. of all possible Irish. Irish. <laughs> Everybody um, out. Irish to the fucking White House. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's really uh, Northern good. Irish is a weird is a weird one, but for some reason, it's very close in some ways to um to like deep South accents. If you if you kind of know what to listen to, it's mm. a, it's a strange one. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, uh, I would say I just once again because this is made for kids, you kind of know you can you can see it coming, right? Uh, and you're like ah okay yeah. all right they're gonna do this thing. I think I was less thrown off by their depiction of that than the way they resolve the problems of um dr beans or whatever oh, getting yeah. uh getting oh, getting I can't wait for dr beans getting getting arrested <laughs> and then freed like there's yeah. it goes yeah. beyond deus well, ex machina and just becomes oh, like if they like such a contrivance okay so here's the weird thing so yeah they send lucy off to dr beans kurt is up a tree on dr beans's and poochie's here being chased dr. by dogs magical island <laughs> here's the thing about dr beans this is a real guy. No, you can't. Doctor Doctor Beans right, is real. You can't, that that can't be true. That cannot be possible. Doctor Beans. Is, this is the whole story of how Francis Scott Key wrote the song. Is that he was a lawyer in town and a slave owner? Huh. We'll get to that. Um, oh boy. And he negotiated the return of Doctor oh, Beans. Okay. Doctor Beans was having uh, soldiers were quartering in his home, mm. which, as you know. We don't. Yeah, fuck we have. Around a, we with. have a we third amendment. Hello. Yeah. Fuck you. And Beans was probably like uh, POWing these guys. He was probably arresting them right. in his home and getting them sent to prison. Um, and then the British raised their POW MIA flags on the ships and they captured Dr. Beans. <laughs> and <laughs> I just have to keep saying his name is Dr. Dr. Beans. Beans. Yeah. It's Dr. Beans. How do you do this? How do you live it like this? It sounds like a scrapped Sonic villain. <laughs> Before he was Dr. Robotnik, he was Dr. Yeah. Beans. <laughs> I'll get you, Blue Hedgehog, if my name is a Dr. Beans. <laughs> Dr. Mean Beans Machine. There we go. Um, there it is. So I love that Lucy has immediately been punished for even entertaining the notion that free expe- expression should right. be protected. Um, Kurt is suspected of being British by Dr. Beans, and so he tells Dr. Beans that... Uh, he doesn't even like English muffins right. and Dr. Beans being, you know, the Dr. Beans that we all know and love finds that very funny. And Dr. Beans lets him down out of the tree. And, uh, Dr. Malanga Beans, as we all get know. Separate. I love that that Kurt and Lucy get separated again. And then they're just like, and then some things happen to Kurt. Right. You're not. We don't right. fucking yeah. care. Yeah, who cares? So the voice acting anymore. makes it really difficult to keep those characters separate. Genuinely, I struggle to keep <laughs> Connie and uh, and Kurt separate. Like, it just oh, I you mean Lucy? Remember. It's Lucy, Lucy not me, Connie. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Well, no, I can't go. keep any of them separate, uh, or Malanga for that matter. But that's <laughs> just yeah. like I knew it. I knew it. I had to fucking fire them, fire off the cue. It's like scrambling. Yeah, <laughs> like so. I do. I was struggling to cue. You had to kind of listen for dialogue cues as to which character was uh yeah, yeah, w- yeah. was was supposed to be being discussed here because yeah, Lucy and 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 Kurt are hard to tell. Well, apart. You, you the way that you know Kurt is that he always says radical. radical. Yeah, Everything exactly. Is radical yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um. So then, due to a series of contrivances, um. 
what ends up happening is that, uh, God, I'm just trying to make sense of my notes right now because this really doesn't make sense. Like the way that yeah, this so Doctor Beans gets taken. Right. He yeah. basically a, tells the, he boat. tells the 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 Northern Irish guy that he uh, he arrested British soldiers who were who were looting or robbing right. them. Right. But he yeah. apparently doesn't have the right to do that according to them because he had given them word that uh, that he wouldn't conduct any action against the British, and so they then decide to arrest him. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and I can't mean, remember if it's if it's and, the and fancy they sounding guy. Lucy yeah, too. they arrest Lucy they, too. They're just like, like this ten-year-old girl. You're on the ship. And then meanwhile, get on the boat now. And then meanwhile, get in the boat, Shinji. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> Kurt is <laughs> uh, on his way to Fort McHenry. Uh, because he's going to meet with a man named Skinner. Skinner, um, which is the more interesting part of the right, story. Yeah, right. But we're trapped. We're mostly trapped. He's going to get steamed hams. Um, <laughs> and uh, an aurora borealis. <laughs> Skinner. Skinner basically That's a really good chalmers. Skinner basically ends up showing up and releasing all of them from jail, and has brought along a lawyer friend named Francis. And Francis is able to negotiate, was the one who was able to negotiate for their release. Hmm, Francis. Uh, hmm, who could that be? Uh, Fort McHenry. Francis. Hmm. And uh, the Admiral Fort lets McHenry. them know that he'll only release them once they've finished shelling this fort, Fort McHenry <laughs> in Baltimore. <laughs> Metal Gear. Your man thinks he can leave right now. The people of Northern <laughs> Ireland say no. <laughs> See, focus on the family just needs to hire you. Perfect. Yeah, tr- clearly. <laughs> Uh, so, do you want fifty dollars a day? <laughs> in this very bad piece of writing. Uh, oh wait, wait! I have to. I just have to t- talk about Lucy's regret about the flag. Oh yes, please do, please do. But they're not just blocks of stone and pieces of cloth. They're symbols of what we stand for, for what we believe. To see them burned was like having part of me burned. Then it seems you've learned something on this voyage. So Lucy, on I the am boat not wit with, with, Dr. <laughs> with Dr. Beans uh, has learned that burning the flag violates the nap. Um, <laughs> and therefore, because it's a personal attack, should be met with the strictest force yeah. imaginable. It, it's castle doctrine for my flag <laughs> and for my White House. <laughs> I, I found this episode to be almost unendurably boring. Yeah. <laughs> I, but then you get to the part where they prosaically start to recite. Prosaic is a great way to put it. It's the yeah. the national anthem of our country before then also reading Francis Scott Key writing the same words. Mistress Lucy, can, can you see anything? Oh, say, yeah. can you see? It's almost dawn. You may be the dawn's early light? Oh, yeah, in the well, early light of the dawn, maybe. The oh, God, I'm sitting here so proud right now. By the glare of the bursting shells. The, the glare? The rockets? Red <laughs> glare? <sighs> and, and so, you know, the shelling is going on, and then by the dawn's early light, they see the, fu- the fucking, the guy. The flag just, is still, it's there. still there. It's still there. And bigger than before. <laughs> <laughs> bigger than before. There you go. And then, and then, God, and then Lu- God made the flag alive. And then Lucy still. actually comes across a, a, a draft of something that Francis Scott Key wrote, and she just reads it aloud, and it's literally and it's just sh- his ledger of all of the slaves <laughs> that he inherited by marrying yeah. into 
a, a wealthy Maryland family. Yeah, it, no, it, but it, it is just the national. There's also a draft for something called Ender's Game. <laughs> <laughs> Francis Scott Key was the original or- Orson Scott. That's right. Card. Francis no, Scott uh, Keycard. He, He's actually the first any building you want. Is that anything? He's actually the first Mormon. He predates Joseph Smith somehow. Lucy just reads the national anthem and they play the underscoring of the tune of the national anthem. And that's the episode. Except. And then and then we get this insane Chris Anthony outro. By the way, before 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 we get to that real quick, um, I also like how Wit was like, well, did you get a lot out of the adventure? And Lucy's like. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like I've gone through a trauma, but sure. At that point, point, my note that I wrote here is just, God, this show is fucking weird. And that's even before we hit this outro, which let's go ahead and play it. And and so like the message here is like burning flags violates the nap, right? right? Like that's the whole thing. It's like, this is a symbol that is actually a part of your body. And, and, and hurting it destroys you personally, and you need to do something about it. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved home and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. The next time someone tries to tell you that God didn't have any place in our nation's history, <laughs> tell them about this last verse I just read from the Star Spangled Banner. Well, let me just tell you. It is only through trust in God that we can remain the land of the free and oh, the this is, of the This is always happening to me that people are like, God has nothing to do with the founding of America, Nate. Did you know right. that? Well, they're doing that and they're, and they're, and they're asking, and, and, then, and then you see them. And, and these people are holding a Bible and you're like, what's that? What's and, that? and that's just like the, the way it goes back and, it's and forth like forever. They, they get through this whole thing and they like tell this story that's all about how America is great and you need to suck its dick. Um, and then they're like, oh shit, we forgot to mention God. Wait, give Chris some copy <laughs> of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's God tells you to suck this country's right, dick. Right. If anyone tells you that God... <laughs> doesn't have anything to do with our nation's history tell them about that i'm picturing tell them about francis scott key's last verse don't tell them about the middle verses don't bring them (laughs) up don't bring them up but uh i just i picture the scene in don hertzfeld's rejected (laughs) where a person walks into a silly hats only party and not wearing a silly hat and they all look at him and then it cuts to the family learning channel and then it cuts back and they're all just beating him with baseball bats. That's what I feel like the reaction would be if someone said, well, you know, God doesn't have anything to do with America's history. And you're like, well, let me tell you about Francis Scott. And then it just cuts to like just a whole mm. bunch of bats being beaten yeah. on this one person. Like, Francis Scott key card. And, and like, that's the funny, like the, the issue that they want to talk about is not people taking the Christ out of America. It's about people burning the flag. Right. And, and this seems like a weird thing, right? It seems like a weird thing for them to be fixating on is this flag. Well, and, and that thread thing, doesn't right? really get wrapped up because at the beginning of the episode, the whole reason yeah. we get into this in the first place is that Lucy is supposed to be writing an article well, about, about Josh, flag burning. It gets wrapped up in the real world. So this is one of those things where it's like kids are definitely seeing something on the news. Let's make something that tells them what to think. Wasn't about there that thing they're some the sort of struggle back in those days about trying to pass an anti-flag burning amendment or something? Yes. Or so law? I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this for a minute. So we're gonna go back a little bit into flag law, the best law. Brian's getting horned up here about <laughs> flag law. Uh, 
So the flag desecration became like this big movement in the 1890s, people not wanting the flag to be desecrated. Now, this didn't really have to do with people like burning flags or trampling them. It was more about advertising, especially if you like think of the gay 90s or the turn of the century in the West. Like the first image you get in your head is of everything draped in American flags, right? right? Yeah, Yeah. it looks like Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. And so a bunch of people were like, hey, this is kind of fucked up. That like everyone's just like using flag stuff for their branding, for their signs, for their labels. Um, We're going to make laws about this. And so it becomes a big state by state by state by state movement. Um, They tried to get a federal bill passed in the 1890s. It it didn't go. So they eventually got every single state into this Uh, over the course of about 30 years. Every state had a flag desecration rule in place, Hmm. which it didn't have before. There's like one story of a guy getting uh, hanged in New Orleans when the Union occupied it in like 1860, what, two, three, um, because he burned an American flag. But that was, of course, an act of war. And he was killed by like a military tribunal. That's not really built into like the country's own laws on the. Well, and, and that's that's the thing that's worth noting, too, I think, in general, is, you know, when. In many cases, when you talk about uh, uh, burning the flag and just the nature of what the flag is, um, you know, it is a symbol of national sovereignty. Right. And so I think historically, before we get to sort of the culture war around the flag, when you're talking about somebody who is like, you know, a a potentially unrestructured uh, southerner who still sympathizes with the lost confederacy burning the flag. That means yeah. something very, very different from yes. some fucking hippie burning it. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And, and yeah. that was even mm-hmm. still as the war was going right. on. So it's a, a very different sort of thing. Um, so in 1907, there was a conviction of Stars and Stripes beer because they had a label with an American flag on it. And that was found to be a desecration. Uh, that went up to the Supreme Court. It was upheld mm-hmm. because it was not argued on the basis of free expression. We actually don't see a free expression case in the Supreme Court of the United States until like 1919. Uh, to let you have an image of how the First Amendment was seen throughout the the 18th and 19th centuries. Sure. So the text of the First Amendment specifically, too, says uh, that Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, right? Which doesn't necessarily exclude states. Sure. Um, 20th century legal doctrine starts to change this idea. So we get Schenck. Uh, versus the United States in 1919. Oliver Wendell Holmes establishes the the concept of, you know, shouting fire in a crowded theater, mm. that speech expression that presents a clear and present danger that can be abridged and prosecuted. Right. If it doesn't, then it can't. That's the first real statement we get from the Supreme Court about this issue. And he uses that to uphold a bunch of people who are advocating against the draft during World War One. They were also socialists. So this starts, this is part of the first red scare as well, because the revolution has happened in Russia. Oh, that's right. Everyone's starting to freak out about how many American communist groups there are in, in this country. And uh, well, and as per usual, uh, the government only really flips out about some sort of expression when the left is doing it. Right. Like, absolutely. The, because it's the, the thing of this isn't just an expression this is symptomatic of something deeper and could potentially lead to some sort of revolutionary consciousness and we can't be right. having that and what you find is that this is also targeting a lot of jewish left mm. 
Mm-hmm. people in the United States. So the next big case Sorry, Nate, were about- you gonna, Nate, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just going to say, I know it's okay. I was just going to throw in that if, if you, any of you have spent time or lived in the South, like you will be familiar with seeing things, for example, like um, Christian academies, uh, you're sort of like what you might call sort of modern day private Christian segregation schools, and everything yeah. is draped in American flag stuff, right. like Patriot academies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I remember seeing that when I lived in, in North Carolina. Um, that's really common. So it is this idea of like desecrating or advertising or whatever, like that doesn't really raise any flags, Mm-mm. right? Not, not, not meant to yeah. make a pun here, as long as it's the sole <laughs> province of the right, like they can be mm-hmm. used anywhere. Like, in fact, it is to this day, like it seems to be a point of pride to flex putting the flag on everything. It's just yeah. that, oh, absolutely. Well, and, yeah, the, fl- and the whole flag of, code stuff like is, is invariably yeah. only ever wielded against people who are using it as a political protest against what America does. And, and speaking of raising red flags, uh, that was also illegal. That was made illegal during the Red Scare oh, in okay. 24 of our states, um, including California. Huh. So there's a case called Stromberg versus California. This is a 1931 case uh, over something that happened in the late 20s. Things tended to get seen in the Supreme Court pretty quickly back in these days instead of like being like 17. What or else were they doing? Out, you know, right. Um, they were all taking pictures with their new Kodak cameras. We we, we do love our uh, constitutional right to a speedy trial, don't we, folks? Yes, we do. It's, <laughs> it's a good thing that that is a thing that people have in this country all the time. So there was a summer camp. There was a communist summer camp in Southern California. It had a lot of ties to American communist groups. Uh, most of this, the kids who went to this camp were Russian, Ukrainian, Jewish immigrants in Southern California. And it, like the, the associations of the camp were well known. They were associated with official communist parties that were operating in California. So this red flag law meant that you could not wave a red flag publicly. Couldn't have a red flag. Couldn't do it because that was seen not only as communist, but as seditious sure. and in favor of red communism or Bolshevism or the Russian kind. Right. So it, the idea was that they'd kind of use the old espionage act of World War One to kind of accuse people of of sympathy to a foreign government and then enacting on that boom there you go you got a criminal hmm. so like this da and a bunch of cops they they start to skulk around this camp to find any red flags they specifically go to look for flags because that's how they can put down this communist camp so they they find one and they throw a bunch of people in prison including a 19 year old counselor named yetta stromberg this 19 year old girl gets convicted of a felony having a red flag and sentenced to San Quentin. Jesus. So then in 1931, this case gets determined in her favor, right? The Supreme Court finds that her her imprisonment is a wrongful Is the one. U.S. Supreme and Court? The United States Supreme Court. And they use the basis of not only the First Amendment, but the 14th Amendment. And this is the first time we do that, because the 14th Amendment makes very specific clauses on not letting states abridge right, rights. Right, right, right. Mm. So by using the 14th to modify the first, uh, we all of a sudden have this major expression case, and it's now legal to have a red flag. Huh. Uh, <laughs> so flag burning, then we, we go to the 60s. Flag burning gets associated with the Vietnam movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement. Right. Those guys were burning everything, man. They were burning their but draft cards. They were, they they were, were burning, burning flags. draft cards. That was more common. Burning flags is not that common. There were flag burnings that were going on at this time as part of other movements. Oh, okay. But there was a big, highly publicized moment where an American flag gets burned sure. in the middle of Central Park. 
in 1960. Because I remember one of the inciting things with the hard hat riot was that people were carrying the North Vietnamese flag, but not burning American yes. flags. Like, oh, yes, you're okay. saying, like, it's oh, not interesting. I don't recall well, it being that. I mean, obviously, I wasn't alive then, but reading about it, I don't recall that this being that common of a thing, but it definitely mm -hmm. is invoked as this symbol of depredation um, of. I mean, in general, people. The and there were, there were other countries that burned our flags. In Sweden, you can see pictures of protests where they were burning American flags. You can see the same thing in Amsterdam. Um, so there were flag burnings happening, but not not really stateside, except for other kinds of. Things. It also like I would say burning flags um, isn't in general burning American flags isn't that common in general. Like it, 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 it's no, no, it's really never been that big of a thing. I mean, people I think tend to lose their mind when you try to do it, even like if it's a sympathetic mm -hmm. group of people. I just yeah, I, I feel as though that's the most common re reaction that I've ever yeah. heard like to any discussion of it. I've never seen anyone do it. I've been to a, a no. decent amount of protests. What I've no, just heard no, is absolutely. Even just yeah. more, if, if someone tries to normally the people are like don't fucking do that that's stupid like come on even, man, e do that kind yeah, of thing. Even even yeah. left protests like which which I've been to a fair number of as well. Like generally speaking, even if you're avidly uh anti-American imperialism, you know, it, it's 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 a gesture that I think in many cases does more harm than yeah. uh, and, I, and I think people react to it really negatively. Yeah, even exactly. People, well, that's a why, lot of the, that's why a lot yeah. of the big cases that it has to do with there's a Supreme Court case with Street um, versus New York where it was I, an act of protest, but it was done by a single person. That's what a lot of these are. They're not part of organizational sure. movements. Right. And and I mean, you think about like hippies. You see pictures of people at anti-war protests. People are actually waving and wearing American right, flags exactly. quite a lot. Those guys they'll modify it. They'll wear headbands, you know, um, they'll drape themselves in a flag or they'll put peace signs on the flag. That was another yeah. really common thing. Yeah, those guys right. were not so much about anger. I mean, they were angry, mm -hmm. but the messaging, right. as we'll hear about in the next yeah, episode love, we talk man. about, yeah. is peace and love. And, you know, yeah, that's yeah. But they were so, hypocrites, Josh. But that, that's this the thing one, is that they were all this just one protest happens. Right. It was a big protest in Central Park. You get a nice picture of a huge crowd of people and a single burning flag. This becomes an issue. And so in 1968, we get the Flag Protection Act that gets just rushed all the way up to the White House and signed. And so then it becomes 68. Was that to, Johnson? Or Nixon? Um, well, Nixon wouldn't have been inaugurated. That's until Nixon what, at that point. So, well, Nixon right? wouldn't have been inaugurated until 69. So oh, yeah, no, yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah. So it was pretty uncontroversial in, in Washington, D.C. to just say, yeah, let's let's make it illegal. Um, they made it illegal to burn, deface, uh, trample, shit on, you know, whatever. With the American flag, they, they include this clause about um, like it's not malice. It's like it has to be done in to spite the flag. I think it's spite is the word that they use. This brings us to 1984. Yes, literally 1984. Speech illegal. That's right. <laughs> <Yep>. mm -hmm. <laughs> Gregory Johnson, yeah. a member of the revolutionist, the revolutionary communist party. Uh, I'm not going to talk about that particular organization, but he burned a flag in Dallas, Texas, outside the RNC. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> it's kind of funny, though. I, I, you got to admire the stones. Do. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's pretty funny, but like... Yeah. This, this guy later in life was also known for like, he'd go to anti-Iraq war protests with like a severed pig's head that he'd drag around on a leash. With yeah, so <laughs> like he's like the, he's that hanging guy. From it. Okay, yeah, cool. He's that guy. Um, oh yeah, the pig guy. This is kind of trending, so he's trending more towards sort of we live in a society than anything else. He's, 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 he's pretty yeah. joker-fied. <laughs> so, so Johnson 
his case actually he, he actually gets it reversed by the Texas Court of Appeals. And then that is upheld by the United States Supreme Court. He gets represented at the Supreme Court by William Kunstler, who uh, was the, the lawyer who represented the Chicago seven. Watched a wonderful documentary about that on Netflix recently. Yeah. By your friend. Yep. Um, in 1989, the Supreme Court then determines that flag in a five, four decision. I think Scalia ends up on on the side of the majority. They determine that flag burning is protected, mm. symbolic speech protected by the First Amendment. So immediately after that decision, Congress starts to scramble to revise this bill, okay. the Flag Protection Act, because it's like, oh, this is completely fucking toothless. They can't because it's based on the idea of expression and criticism and spite. So they remove the whole spite thing. They're just like eh, just shitting on it and trampling it and burning it. That's just illegal. Uh, just on its own. That's going to be fine. We're, we're going to do just fine. So they get that passed. They try to get an amendment passed. There's a little bit of movement towards that. It doesn't really go anywhere just yet. But the law itself passes on the 28th of October. So on the 30th, Gregory Johnson, the same man, uh, along with three other people, goes to the steps of the Capitol, hangs up three American flags, and sets them on fire, <laughs> chanting, burn, baby, burn, until <laughs> they're nothing but cinders. Baby but when did he send a burning flag to Marco Robbie is my question. <laughs> so they all get arrested, all four of these guys. Those three other guys get charged. And Johnson is not charged. The U.S. Attorney's Office determines that there is a lack of sufficient evidence that he was, I guess, burning the flag with the three other people he was standing with, chanting with, and then also saying to them, Burn, baby, burn. <laughs> that he was burning it. I am actively um, burning this flag. So like, oh, how about, okay, so the guy that there was a Supreme Court case about, how about we don't prosecute him? This is gonna, this is our brilliant political move. So Johnson immediately goes to the press and he says it's an act of cowardice that he wasn't charged. Sure. It was a miscarriage of justice. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> it's a miscarriage of justice that he's not getting charged. I'm walking free on this earth. <laughs> That's awesome. What a cool guy. I will behead so many more pigs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah, you have you have to re respect the guy who genuinely wants to piss these people off. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the dude seems like he has a fucked vibe. It's sort of like Church of Satan. It's just like sometimes I really like the stunt. Right. Um, yep. <laughs> so uh, there's there's another group of Seattle activists that also burned a bunch of American flags uh, the day that the, the law got passed through Congress. So all their cases are, are put together in the Supreme Court. They're actually tried the next year. This actually moves very fast, weirdly. And in another 5-4 decision, the Flag Protection Act is completely struck down. Okay. So that brings us to the year before this episode sure. comes out, where Lucy learns that she's a liberal cuck and has to have uh, the capital. It's okay, wit uncucks her. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, no, is, is Dr. The great William Unpuckner. Beans uncucks her, sir. <laughs> Dr. Beans! That is true, that is true, yeah. Dr. Beans, I've been cucked! I need an uncuckening <laughs> procedure, Dr. Beans! Quickly, get in my spaceship! <laughs> here, Malaga! Oh, um, God. So, is there, th so, is there something else that, that happens here? Uh, yes, yeah, so there's a little bit more, just because... Uh, so then in 2016, Gregory Johnson, once more, burns a flag oh, yeah. at the 2016 RNC. Oh, he went back to the arrested. RNC. He wanted to be at the um, RNC. And <laughs> and then in What's 2019, like? uh, yeah. 
2019, the city of Cleveland ends up paying out about a quarter of a million dollars to Gregory Johnson because the arrest was determined wow. to be unconstitutional. What a great, what a great like <laughs> little racket. You go around, burn flags, uh, court yeah, legal I mean, action, he, and then the guy collect. knows. Yeah. the guy knows his rules. His, his lane, and he stays in the it. rules. Um, so gotta get a gimmick. We we do get more movement towards the the constitutional amendment and towards another bill. So like Hillary Clinton tries to get another law passed about flag protection that fails. Then they try to get a constitutional. She, that happened while she was in the Senate or while she was while she was in the Senate. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that. It was like one of her big her two big things were like ban Grand Theft Auto and uh, keep the flag from getting burnt. Right. And I mean, honestly, what a fucking dumbass. Who is this woman? <laughs> That was her project for six years. I feel, I feel like it's just wild. Maybe people didn't realize that by alienating everyone who listened to MXPX in the early 2000s, <laughs> that they were setting themselves up for failure in 2016. <laughs> so then, then the con the constitutional amendment thing tries to go through. Um, in the 90s, they tried to get it passed through Congress and the Senate. They couldn't get their two thirds majority, but they did get majorities, which is just awful. In 2006. The, the constitutional amendment thing happens again. They vote on it in the Senate. They miss the two thirds majority by one vote. Hillary Clinton votes against what? it. What? Uh, yeah. So that's really interesting. I mean, I feel like even if it had been passed and said, there's no way they could have gotten two thirds of state assemblies to. to uh, I don't think so that. either. No. Yeah. Um, I don't think that we really live in a world where will ever have another constitutional no. amendment no. not under this constitution so anyway. the whole 1991 context about this spate of burning flags is really about seven people right it's a case that involved one guy one fucking guy and then it became a case that involved seven fucking guys yeah. it is wild to remember i mean because i wasn't really paying attention to, to politics at all when i was a little kid yeah. but then as i got to be you know closer to being a teenager and you know this stuff was in the news how much of like a conservative boogeyman this was mm -hmm. and how, how much it felt like every mm -hmm. politician was obligated to opine on whether or not they thought we should ban flag burning and so on and so forth. Like it, it yeah. just, you've, you've kind of jogged my memory of nineties yeah. controversies and yeah, this was definitely one of them. Uh, so it's just so weird. Cause what I realized was I can't even remember the name, but you know, there's always like so many cartoon strips in syndicated you know, newspaper cartoons mm -hmm. that are like, uh, oh, these kids, and they all talk in Republican talking points all the time. Like, there's lots and lots of them. <laughs> sure. If you've you read any, any basically post-Calvin and Hobbes, it just became, it just became like, um, what's it called, Mallard Fillmore and a bunch of, like, even worse yes. spin-outs. Oh, it's a disaster. And, and yeah. invariably, th th it feels like this, that's what, what came to mind, that this world they've created in Odyssey sounds like a yeah. radio play that w yeah. of one of those environments in which, like, you know, everyone espouses these right-wing talk radio talking points, but they're you know smart little precocious children and it's just yeah it's it's bizarre it, the, the victimhood complex the the need to be martyred or persecuted even without the the over evangelical christianity like it's part of the same phenomenon. Right. Well, the, the right someone burning the american flag a fellow citizen of the country burning an american flag is also my martyrdom <laughs> yeah exactly well yeah yeah and, and like i said i and i felt that at the end of this episode that the sort of the the closing line um you mentioned the name of the the voice actor who who said that and i've forgotten but yeah chris, chris yeah that that felt more out of sync or out or tone deaf to the rest of the content than any of the yeah. other little little mm -hmm. pronouncements at the end absolutely yeah, absolutely 
I uh, there was a guy in my uh, neighborhood growing up who would go around to people's houses and, you know, again, San Diego, fairly conservative. Uh, I grew up in Escondido, California, which is was Time Magazine's <laughs> 11th most conservative city in the United States. We couldn't even break the top 10. And uh, he would just go. Escondido is never in the top 10 of anything. No, sure isn't, except for meth labs and serial killers. We got those in uh, in droves. But uh, there would be in our neighborhood, you know, there would be flags sort of displayed everywhere. Um, you know, even our house had an American flag uh, put out front. And uh, I guess for the 4th of July, we had put little flags in the ground. And what this guy would do is he would go to people's homes. And if there were any flag violations whatsoever, if the flag was flying at night, for example, or if the flag uh, was touching the ground at all, uh, he would come up and he would... uh, he would scream yes. at you, regardless yes. of like, because I, I remember I answered oh, the door. I was expecting like a guy with a clipboard. That's actually what like, I was expecting to your door. Yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't. He didn't have a clipboard, but he came up and he was just red faced and like very, very <laughs> angry. <laughs> and I was eight years old at the time when I answered the door, and he just started screaming at me that I was disrespecting the flag, that my family was disrespecting the flag, and uh, spat oh, in the face of everything that he had fought for. Uh, and if we didn't take the flags out of the ground he would be forced to take action he was never clear about what that action was but he's gonna you know. report you to the flag police <laughs> well exactly he's definitely it, one of those pe- he probably did call the police all the time and it was probably just one right. of those nuisance guys that they're like yeah just listen to him and yep. hang up and and it really it really colored my uh opinion on the flag and mm. even because i remember even thinking at eight years old being like this feels like a little much this feels like <laughs> a, a, like like a very interesting thing to be upset about and so from then on out whenever we would say the pledge of allegiance i would say uh one nation under god for richard stands uh (laughs) after the animaniacs bit because i just i had lost all respect for it but um i'm curious you know what everyone else is like Opinion, like, what was your opinion on the flag growing up? Yeah, like, what was? W- well, I do want to say one thing about the flag code, just for a second. Oh, sure. That was actually put in place by FDR, and FDR was pretty staunchly in favor of people doing whatever they wanted in terms of freedom of expression involving the flag. Right. He vacated all of the old Espionage Act mm. uh, convictions. Did you catch the kind World of sly dig at Roosevelt in? I did the second episode when he's he says you've been put in for the purple purple heart. Uh, which is funny to me because it's more, it's not an automatic award, but if you were wounded in combat, you're going to get it. Put you in for a purple heart. Maybe President Roosevelt will pin it on himself, but don't count on it. Well, it's just funny to me because even in the world <laughs> yeah. that they've either, they're sort of invoking of, um, of like, like the good, the good patriotic war fought by white people. Uh, yeah. that like yeah. the guy who was the president during the war is also a lib and bad. And so like, there has to be even, <laughs> even tangentially, you know, glancingly, there has to be a dig at him. Yeah, no, I remember in, uh, in my APUS class being taught in a very conservative Catholic school that, um, they were very insistent that Roosevelt's plans and, you know, um, everything that he did to get us out of the Great Depression was actually meaningless because yeah. it was World War II that pulled us out. Yeah, it yeah, had yeah, nothing yeah. to do Me with too. his social plans at Common all. I, I also, you know, it, it, having gone to, because I went to a Christian school, an evangelical Christian school, and that's exactly what I, well, we were sort of taught the controversy uh, about mm. uh, Roosevelt and the New Deal. Um, mm. But I would say- Yeah, was New Deal evolution or intelligent design? Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I would say like leaning more toward the side of the New Deal was a largely worthless program that maybe propped the economy up a little bit, but ultimately it was the war. And then similarly taught the controversy around the dropping of the bomb, uh, leaning heavily toward the side of it was necessary to avoid, you know, yeah. a- additional bloodshed, et cetera. Completely glossing yeah, yeah. over the fact that it is 
one of the worst war crimes in all of human history. I don't really recall. I mean, it was a long time ago. I recall being taught, yeah, I mean, going over this in, yeah, in AP US history. I, I had this weird class that we took at my high school where you could sign up for it, um, where you took AP US English and AP US history together. And so it would be like, you know, oh, it was like block scheduling classes, but it met every day of the week. And so it was, you know, we'd huh. be learning about American history, but then also reading the literature from that period and, you know, kind of tying it in. And it was an interesting class, but the, oh, the history yeah, instructor, that actually seems like it, it was great. Yeah. But the history instructor, it was funny because the, the, the English instructor was like a very much like structuralist, tra structuralist trained uh, formalist, you know, everything mm. is about like these sorts of like the um, Cleanth Brooks style of literary criticism, English mm -hmm. instructor, but she was great. She was also pretty left leaning. And the instructor, the history instructor was like a dude who failed his physical, but really wanted to fight in Vietnam and was super conservative. And so mm. interesting dynamic in the room. But he I, I genuinely seem to recall it being something along the lines of like alphabet soup agencies, you know, money spent on, on every dumb thing, <laughs> the war, the war saved the economy, blah, 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 something along those lines. Right. But I mean, yeah. I realize now that it was 20 years ago. So like, I don't yeah. really recall oh, sure. that much in I, detail. I think specifically on that idea of like a guy who couldn't fight in Vietnam, but wanted to is a great topic to keep in mind yes. as we go into this next episode, 60s something. Oh, hi. I was just looking at this old picture book from the 1960s. Boy, those styles were pretty wacky back then. <laughs> of course, they weren't the only thing. There were some pretty wacky attitudes going on back in the 1960s as well. Some wacky attitudes. Real wacky so attitudes. They're already, they're being like, you know what? You know, nothing happened in the 60s. Everyone just went insane and now we're trying to forget about right. it. Right. She later then says like, Look at this guy's hair. It looks like his head exploded. And I'm trying to think of like, who is she talking about? Like She was talking about John F. Kennedy, actually. <laughs> 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 hey, you know what? 60s. You're right. Holy shit. This is one of those interesting things where it's like, of course, this is going to be about more Vietnam War grievance. Witt's son, Jerry, died in the war. Um, they, there was a whole Vietnam War grievance episode really early on. This is built into a lot of what yep. Focus on the Family is doing and what Adventures in Odyssey is doing. Because... One of the more counterintuitive details is like with Gallup polling, the Vietnam War was always much more popular among younger people than it was among older people. Uh, the under 30 crowd was always like 20 or 30 points higher than the over 49 crowd. I mean, that makes sense because the greatest generation actually remembers what war is like. Yeah. But Odyssey seems to think war is just adventures and mishaps and right. you make yeah. British friends out of it. So, so local businessman Bart Rathbone has decided to do some civic engagement. To remember the 60s parade. But Bart Rathbone has ulterior motives. He wants to sell appliances. Right. Um, that's, that's the whole thing. So he comes into to wit's end. Of course he doesn't know what he's talking about. Good morning, dudes. Uh, peace and love to you both. Bart? <laughs> Mr. Rathbone, is that you? Yeah, like groovy, man. Groovy? Yeah, great get up, huh? Oh, they don't make them like this anymore. Small wonder. Imagine finding a pair of old bell bottoms, paisley shirt, turtleneck, and a chickadillic headband all in the same place. The dump? <laughs> You're a great kid. No, in an old trunk. I do have to say, the word chickadelic from my childhood has been like seared into my brain. Chickadelic. Uh, I, I love the word chickadelic. AJ and Nate, how do we feel about Bart Rathbone? Uh, he feels um, uh, weirdly 
anti-Semitic. I was going to say exactly that. I was going to say this is either anti-Jewish or anti-Italian propaganda. <laughs> yeah. I, but Rathbone's not an Italian surname, so you know what I mean? Like They're Jewish. That's yeah. true. Jewish. I, I always saw it as an anti-Italian I knew, thing I, growing I, I, up, which is, of course, fine. That's, that's it's okay. It's great. It's, but, it's actually good. Um, yeah. The first time I, I re-listened to this, I was like, oh, shit. Like... The Rathbones. It's, it's giving tropes. It's giving tropes. <laughs> I don't love this. Uh, they and in, in, in later on, actually, um, there is an episode that involves the Barclays, which is um, Odyssey's all-American family <laughs> going on a vacation a center. to uh, Hawaii with uh, the Rathbones. Uh, the episode is called Aloha Oi, and um, <laughs> which of course play on Aloha Oi, but it's Oi O Y. And I've, I've um, lost months of my life hearing that title. The big gist of it is that Doris Rathbone, Bart's wife, uh, yeah. is just she just really uh, is is she's always you know stealing linens and things of that <laughs> nature. God. So I... Bart Bart Rathbone is a local business owner in Ne'er Do Well. His son is. 16 years old in middle school and the leader of a gang called the Bones of Wrath. Which later... Uh, you don't hear Rodney Rathbone here. Which, by but, the way, yeah. later on, said gang will also uh, couple with a larger gang, uh, which is led by a guy whose nickname is Jellyfish, but his real name is Myron Horowitz. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. God. Myron Horowitz, you know, he used to be in the JDL and uh, it's so good to be noticed and perceived, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. Um, I want to recapture the love and peace that prevailed back in that wonderful decade of uh, 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 turmoil and riots. Yeah, you yeah. know. No. Black on black crime. Yeah, Wits doing dog Wits whistles. Yeah. Yeah. Hippies. He uh, you see, here's them. the thing. This episode comes so close to actually tackling interesting things. Yeah. Like there, there is something about the commodification of the peace and love mm -hmm. movement to sell you shit that I think is genuinely kind of fucked up and evil that th this episode kind of touches on. But like if this episode had actually focused on like wit grieving the loss of his son mm -hmm. and that's why he hates the 60s. Yeah. Yes. Like I would I would be fully on board, but he just kind of hates it because it was stupid and I don't like it. Right. And it's yes, yeah, so I, I, I don't know enough about Odyssey lore. So did, did wit lose his son in Vietnam or something? Yeah. Yeah, his son Jerry. There's another great episode with hippies in but, it. But but that um, episode, where we get a Jerry the episode um, that sets up Jerry's death actually does deal with Wit's personal loss in a much more nuanced yeah. way than this episode. Yeah. Um, whereas yes. this one, what ends up happening is um, Connie, uh, who is of course the naive teen, is like, I wasn't around for the '60s, but it sounds like it was pretty good. Goes to the library, finds a book by a local writer yeah. named Josh Guthrie who, you know, it's real flower child shit. Lots of stuff about peace and love. And she says, it sounds great. There's another little thing with her and Wit here. But what they wanted wasn't completely bad. Well, it wasn't bad, Connie. It's just that, well, they were building their hopes on the wrong foundation. They said that man could make a perfect world of peace and love. And as a Christian, I, well, I know it won't happen. At least not without Jesus Christ. Which is so interesting. So Wit's position is what exactly? Moral defeatism? Are you supposed to withdraw from the world and become an ascetic? Are you uh, only, is, is it only in death that peace and love can ever truly exist on a societal level? Should mm -hmm. you give up on trying to restructure society? 
that doesn't really make sense because Focus on the Family is an explicitly political organization well, I think right. I, and specifically a wing of the Republican well, Party. Well, but that's peace through strength is the whole Republican mantra, right? And that's that's right. that's what it comes down to is that which is such a contradiction to the idea that well, peace can't actually right. happen. It can't it can't really. But you cannot in 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 this Jesus, yeah. in this ideology, you cannot have peace without American Empire. American Empire yeah. is actually the thing that creates peace. And to attempt to undermine American empire is, through, Christ. through Christ and to attempt to <laughs> who gives it strength to attempt to undermine American empire is undermining our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ himself. Right. Anyway, Connie goes to uh, this place called the new start house, which is a drug drug rehab clinic. There's also a B plot about Bart Rathbone hiring this band called the gyroscopes. Yeah. Um, I don't have any clips from it, but I do think it's kind of funny how suck ass the band yeah, they're is. terrible. They're all like really lazy. Yep. They, yeah. they hate their life. It's pretty funny, actually. They hate the 60s. It's it's actually a good bit. Um, But uh, Connie then goes to the New Start house, um, tries to uh, ask this guy named Jim Reeves. Not No, not that Jim Reeves, not country singer Jim Reeves. It's a different guy <laughs> named Jim Reeves. Um, and uh, Jim says that Josh doesn't like to be bothered. And, you know, uh, Connie gets pretty quickly that obviously Jim Reeves and Josh are the same person. Also, there's a musical outro here that is literally just House of the Rising Sun. Uh, yes. I wanted to note that. The music is, you, you can tell this is like 100 episodes after the uh, Malanga episode because the music is so much higher quality, right. including some actual real instruments. Yeah. Um, but like the MIDI is even better and it's none of that I just keep really getting turned off on these clips because like wit as the sort of you know, grizzled talker down of any kind of ideals of life being better <laughs> is reminding me of Don Amici narrating the fucking golden retriever in Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. <laughs> like, it's, it's almost uncanny. And so yeah. I'm just like, oh, like, you know, it's like, imagine if, if that, if, if, if the lovable grizzled dog hated hippies really badly and also so said funny. that like, that life is supposed to suck because the kingdom of heaven is your eternal reward. And it's just like, ugh. Can you imagine him trying to get out of the hole and sliding back in and just saying, you know, oh, these fucking hippies and the cat and the dog be like, you know, what? let's leave him. Let's leave him in this mud hole. Yeah. Um, Michael, Michael J. Fox, secret Jewish bull terrier. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, just to just kind of get through the balance of the episode, because really not that much happens here. Um yeah, so she, this this guy kind of pretends that he's not the author right. of these poems. Then it turns out that he, he is. is yeah. He works at this recovery center, and it turns out that he was there as a patient. The, twi so then the he twist is that Josh is the pen name, whereas Jim is the real guy. Uh, yeah, he has since yeah. disavowed this persona. And because of the cost of the 60s. Right. We wanted freedom without responsibility. And now the consequences are two decades of a drug epidemic, abortion, AIDS, and people who think only about themselves. Whoa, so people whoa, did whoa. A, people, <laughs> people, are, people are doing abortion because of the hippies on the Supreme Court. Uh, Earl Warren, biggest hippie in the world. By the way, the, 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 um, bit, about, the bit about AIDS, I I watched... AIDS? Fucking AIDS? I watched... I watched yeah. um, this is 1991, first of all. Like, this is the year that this episode's out. Also, I watched the uh, HBO movie adaptation of The Normal Heart a couple days ago, yeah. um, mm. which, I mean, it has the Ryan Murphy problem, but overall, I right. would say, is right. a pretty good movie. Um, and Ooh, the acting's really good. The it? acting's excellent. And from having, like, felt the incredible pain of that and the rage of Larry Kramer and just, like, mm. what the AIDS struggle was, to have have that whole... Oh, it's insane. The failure of that historical moment and the failure of the American government reduced down to, well, 
in the 60s, a bunch of hippies thought we could do whatever they yeah, wanted without exactly. any yeah. consequence. It was well, infuriating. was the yeah. position of the American yes, government. of course. Yeah. Richard DeVos Sr., the founder of Amway, was on Reagan's right. uh, response team. Right. You know, he was on the board that just said, well, you know, you thought you could have free love and now you're all dying of AIDS and we're just going to fuck you. Yeah, I mean, and it's weird, too, because, because Jesus wants being, that. Being, I, 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 being of the age where I can recall, you know, AIDS as <clears> in, the, in the initial yeah. wave of it, like, or at least the the first say decade of it um you know the idea that you're like well hippies didn't cut their hair and that's why ryan white had to die like it's such yeah. a and that that was that was i mean he had ryan yeah. white had just died in 1990 i mean that was such a new so the idea that you could reduce it to that that aids is because of hippies is deranged i mean genuinely yeah. deranged yes. like yeah. blanched at that when you played that like i just i i don't know like some of this stuff is almost indistinguishable from like I mentioned earlier Paul Harvey or like um, Garrison yeah. Killor or what is it the Lake Wobegon kind of yeah. shit but yes. other than the stuff yes. that's just straight up fucking fatwas and like it's yes. really bad <laughs> no and that's that's the yeah. interesting yeah. thing about Adventures in Odyssey is exactly and we talk about this a lot in these with Endless Summer yeah. episodes it's like the dichotomy where on the one hand you've got stories that are sometimes honestly pretty sweet like we tend to listen to the weirder episodes but some of the like right. there's plenty of stuff there's plenty of perfectly yeah, sweet nice mundane family, family episodes stories. exactly yeah. but then on the other hand you get this fucking dogmatic uh horrible bullshit oh and i, I also want to say about evangelicals and abortion and that that linking of abortion with the hippies Ugh. yeah when roe v wade was decided the front page of the main publication for the Southern Baptist Convention praised the decision. Right. Yeah, I mean, there was immediate backlash only coming from the, the Catholic Church. Yeah. Evangelicals mm -hmm. thought it was great. It was uh, an extension of personal freedom. Again, it was state abortion laws that were relatively new that led to the passage of Roe v. Wade or the passage, the, the decision of Roe v. Wade. We had right. full federal funding of abortion through all channels, including but not limited to Medicare, Medicaid, and the VA, uh, yep. up until like the late 70s. And I, yep. I want to say something that I don't know if people are aware of this, just as an aside of how far that's fallen since then. Is that, And I believe this yeah. is because of the Hyde Amendment, but I was my last assignment in the military before I got out was in Korea. And I can, uh, uh, Korea is not a country that allows legal abortion. You can procure abortions, but mm. they, it's it's illegal and it's all done. done. Um, or they've, they've recently changed the laws. That was a huge uh, struggle recently. Mm. But when I was there in 2013, uh, 2014, abortion was illegal. And because <clears> the Hyde Amendment, um, you military doctors can't uh, give abortions. I believe it's a Hyde Amendment. Mm. I can't remember if it, it, but basically the military doctors cannot give abortions. And so, yeah. I, and if a single woman becomes pregnant serving in the military, she can't stay in and will get kicked out. And I saw a number of young women soldiers getting forced out of the military, basically on medical grounds because they got pregnant. And like, they and I don't know all of their personal circumstances, but at least in the one situation in my company that I was aware of, this woman did not want to keep the baby, but she had no choice. Yeah. She couldn't go home yeah. and get an abortion. She couldn't get an abortion in Korea, and the doctors couldn't give an abortion in uh, on the military hospital. So, like, Fuck. basically, she wanted to stay in the army, and she was forced out because of this. So, the idea that there was a time when when you could get an abortion through the VA or you know through the military. The idea it's just, it's just nauseating to me. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember reading this long exposition about um, Fred Phelps and the Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, yeah. And like before they cited on abortion and, and opposing gay rights, like their big thing was basically opposing integration, like racial integration. Yeah. And I, I don't want to speak in too, you know, broad brush kind of thing here. And that that was that was kind of Billy Graham was one of the big 
um, avatars of all this because he was against integration, you know, on the friendly, you know, the kinder, gentler racist side of being like, well, you know, there's all these other problems and backlash that can form from it. And he he also did not give it. He was pro-choice. He was actually like on the record pro-choice. You know, two of the justices that decided in favor of Roe were Nixon appointed judges or justices. And uh, it was really only about 75, 76 that this maneuvering starts to happen in the evangelical world yeah. where they build a coalition right. with Catholics and decide to take on um, the, the pro-life movement, which has been very, very politically successful obviously for the last 40 years. Paul Weyrich, moral majority, all that shit. Yeah. Falwell. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild to me. Like I said, I mean, when you look back on this stuff. But no, it's the hippies. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, yeah. The time it wasn't. But the, the, the level of revisionism here and the oversimplification yeah. and the fact that this is targeted at, you know, evangel- evangelical Christian children. Evangelion like yeah. children. Evangelion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get, 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 get in the, the imagination station. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was a nice slip of the tongue that you caught there. But yeah, you know, exactly. My 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 heart wants to discuss this abomination of of a program, but my soul and my brain are locked on shinji um yeah man like it's just it's 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 deranged i mean it's it's that yeah this 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 i think produced the strongest bile reaction yeah for me at yeah. Least. yeah well and 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 also like the idea of the drug epidemic as this completely new unique thing and, and that's what it was yeah, like addiction started in the 60s so much of of heroin in the united states has been uh, imported by the United States government. I was going to say, of course, like you, the old days, opium was part of regular medication all the way through the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And then once you get into the 20th century, you start seeing these spikes in addiction rates among impoverished black people. Well, and you can't talk about... The, and it creates this... You can't this, talk about this the... This racial... Yeah the, yeah, the fucking... You can't talk about the crack and cocaine epidemic without talking about the fucking right. CIA. Like... Well, and, and, and specifically with heroin, too, after the Second World War, we start... Uh, aligning ourselves with anti-communist groups and uh, organized crime groups and importing more heroin into the United States. You start seeing spikes in places like Chicago it, at, right after World War II. Um, cocaine sort of falls off during the 50s and comes back. But cocaine was a big part of everyday life throughout the 19th century and early 20th century. As we get into the 60s, as there is certainly more drug use in certain realms and a lot of drug use in Vietnam by the military yeah, members, including true, drugs, yeah. mm. including stimulants that are being prescribed to soldiers, yeah, much so. pretty much sure. like Skittles. We 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 do see real drug problems and we do see people coming home with drug problems. But the way that things get sort of inflated on one end and then deflated on the other end, again, you want to link it to the hippies. And so you start yeah. to see these outgrowths of bigger drug problems while we're importing drugs from like Laos and Cambodia in exchange for arms and things like that. Then Nixon takes an explicit strategy of pinning marijuana on hippies and heroin on blacks. And that's used to discredit right. those movements. And that carries forward. So the only idea I ever had of hippies growing up was just drugs. Right. It was just a bunch of people who got really into yeah, drugs. That's, and, and that's the idea being pushed here. Is it's just drugs. Right. Yeah. Also, also AIDS and abortion, but yeah, d- 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 drugs, it's, drugs, it's drugs, very drugs. funny just to throw this in really quickly because both my mom and dad were in the army when I was really little and then my mom got out, but my mm. dad stayed in. But I mean, w- one of the things that's interesting to me is just the extent to which I don't know if people realize how common drug use is in the US military and that like it's become harder yeah. for people to get away with it because of testing. But um, uh, especially mm. before the advent of, you know, lab testing for stuff like for THC and for other drugs. It was more right. like you had to catch people in the act of doing it. And like my dad had this story that he was just, just mystified by when he was, um, I think he was a company commander in Germany. And uh, one of his lieutenants or another lieutenant in a, in a company in his battalion was on sort of 
officer of the day barracks watch and he thought he smelled weed in the barracks so he went mm-hmm. to like knock on the door and get the, get the door open and the soldiers were smoking weed but what they did was they opened the door and then wrapped him in um blankets stuffed him in a footlocker and threw it off a fourth-story window and the guy survived but like was so fucked Whoa. up from it that he had to be medically discharged from the army Holy and it's like so when you think cow. about uh, like the hippies bad with drugs soldiers you know straight and straight and narrow american heroes like Anyone who spent a day in uniform knows that's not the case. And the, and the funny thing, the yeah. kind of side product of this is that the, the drug that's probably the most benign that one could use, in my opinion, being weed, uh, stays in your system yeah. long enough that it's very hard to get away with, with regular testing yeah. in the military. Mm-hmm. However, um, cocaine, MDMA, heroin, stuff like that, yep. get out of your system a lot faster, particularly cocaine. So coke is kind yeah. of coke and meth are kind of the drugs of choice for soldiers and sure. like K2 and Spice because they can't trust test for that. Yeah, th- that was wow. the thing. All my friends, when I saw them again, they were all just smoking spice. Yeah, yeah. spice, uh, spice after, is after a huge one. And like, it's really, you can't really test for it that I'm aware of. Um, yeah. And so, and obviously like spice does insane shit to people. It's horrible. <laughs> it's I, I would like to horrible. be clear. I'm, I'm not familiar with what spice is. It is, is it the thing from Dune? Is it like, it's, is it uh, space cocaine? It might, might as well it's, be, It's honestly. basically like, the best way I can describe it is it's sold as incense. So it's sold over the counter as incense, yeah. but it's basically kind of like a plant matter that dried, tea or something that's been treated with chemicals that do give you a psychoactive high but it's like it's like imagine huh. salvia times a thousand no thank you it's yeah. awful it's, and it's, it's, no, it causes people that. to have psychotic breaks at times it's not everyone i don't want to make it out be like oh you smoke crack and you turn into a werewolf yeah. kind of thing but like it sure. does cause psychological issues with people and spice is in such a weird zone of how you can like buy it over the counter and how it kind of dodges laws you don't you're not necessarily getting the same thing every time not at all you're getting yeah, different absolutely. chemicals in your body and, and technically speaking um, it's it's illegal um for soldiers to buy or military service members to buy it but you can't right. uh you, you can't, can't really for test it. for it and so yeah so much of what's going on with it is um is they have to catch people same thing they have to catch people having it um but yeah that was a that was i mean we when i was in korea we had a soldier who was technically still on our books despite serving a five-year prison sentence in korean prison because he tried to import a bunch of spice through the u.s postal service into korea <laughs> uh, so like, yeah like like spice is, is one of the drugs of choice or k2 or something what like a that. cool was, fucking guy <laughs> oh my god of all of the fucked up shit that soldiers do that gets over the threshold of the status of forces agreement <laughs> where you have to get prosecuted by the korean justice system and not the military justice system that's the most benign and the funniest the rest are all just sad <laughs> fucked up but right, that one is right. very funny yeah after josh slash jim's monologue about how uh the hippies gave us aids we then uh have bart rathbone going to a hotel and this is actually kind of funny the gyroscopes yeah. got fucking lit Played gyroscopes n- being the band he hired the, the band he the, hired the, the gyroscopes the the authors of the song some kind of marmalade and somebody <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> some kind of preservative some kind of preservative um got too drunk <laughs> they played music in their rooms they assaulted the bellboys and trashed yeah. their rooms <laughs> and so they actually got arrested the by the police bart of course is being held liable for the damages and then it starts raining and so they can't even play the concert yeah so god, god hates outdoor concert. concerts and 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 wit has successfully canceled the 60s for connie so i have right. just one final right. clip hi, well hi connie what are you doing here i figured you'd be over at the 60s celebration concert nah i decided not to go oh yeah jim reeves kind of spoiled it for me I don't think I could groove to the tunes without thinking of all the casualties that went along with oh, them. Oh, Lord. <laughs> 
But I'll, let people enjoy things. Jim anyways. Morrison killed people. It's amazing people. we don't talk about <laughs> Vietnam, though. Like, it's amazing yeah. that they talk about the yeah. 60s, yeah. It's, it's but they don't talk about the actual the casualties of fucking yeah. Vietnam, right. the thing that had a shit ton of casualties. But, as, but, but the thing is, you know, in that previous episode that we had listened to, uh, you know, a few episodes back, the casualties in Vietnam were ultimately good casualties because the Vietnamese people really wanted us there. Uh, we mm. learned that in, in that we were doing episode. God's work. Yeah, well, I mean, I also love Rathbone's final thing of saying, uh, I should have just listened to Lawrence, Lawrence Welk. Welk. That was really funny. <laughs> like Lawrence Welk didn't trash every hotel room that he stayed in. Now that we've sort of gone through a lot and thank you so much also for coming on and, you know, for talking through all of this, it's, you know, been a lot of fun having you on. Um, I'm just kind of curious to hear about sort of your overall thoughts how now that you've experienced the wonderful world of odyssey uh where are you at how much psychic damage have you taken um yeah where are you at how much how much chicken damage (laughs) a lot of chicken damage Um, i mean i guess what i would say is (laughs) this is also an interesting moment in time because i think that the way christian evangelical christians relate to the military has changed a bit i mean both Mm -hmm. in my lifetime and also post 9-11 and also Mm -hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. post-Trump. It's so one of the things that we talk about on What a Hell of a Way to Die is that it's very interesting because Francis and I are both in our late 30s to have watched right. uh, the dynamic change from, you know, n- no one can be as good as the troops to uh, actually fuck the troops. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're woke Marxists. Yeah. It's the cops we love more. <laughs> right. Our, our troops all turned woke. They all yeah, turned gay. Exactly. And um, But I would say with this, I think it is very interesting that the point you made, I think the one overarching point I would make here is that uh, the 90s kind of nostalgia for World War II, which I think it led to a lot of stuff even before 9-11, um, yeah. versus mm-hmm. the complete omission of Vietnam in the similar mm-hmm. context that Vietnam is just the heroic sacrifice of of, of Witt's son, um, but not in the context of social upheaval in the 60s and so on and so forth. I think mm-hmm. it really shows a lot of how malleable and adaptable this worldview is to take anything that you think would be a gotcha to be like, oh, maybe I should reconsider my views. Maybe I'm being a hypocrite. And then just completely disregard it or shape it into something that fits that worldview. And it, it does, I, I think that in combination with some of the other things we've talked about on this episode about the victimhood and complex and desire for martyrdom, like it makes you realize that this is a worldview that just isn't going to accommodate reality it's going to bend yeah. reality around it in order right. to yeah. reinforce itself and yeah. and that i think you see this play out but i think it's it makes for us makes for for good jokes because it's so absurd on its face but then also you realize that i mean you you two grew up listening to this stuff and i imagine when right. you were little that you grew up listening to it in earnest absolutely uh, for oh yeah, yeah at least for yeah. a period of time and, you and, know? And, and i think to your point about the the reality distortion you're exactly right like the the your conception of the world your your conception of reality is shaped by the things that you consume right and um certainly at least for me uh growing up this was largely stuff like this because of the fact that in the 90s when i was growing up the perception of like you said the troops and so forth in evangelical christianity is still that they are greatest shining heroes this of course is before the joint chiefs got cucked as we all know Um, (laughs) uh yeah it's like this is so detached from reality, but at the end of the day, it is the victors who write history. And yeah, um, for a very and since we were the victors in the War of eighteen twelve in Vietnam, we get to write exactly. that history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to me to see how this gets, uh, how the sort of 
ideology factory bends and twists stuff with regard to Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. I imagine that we're going to see, you know, American sniper is going to seem quaint yeah. in comparison to what's going to come, yeah, you know, sure. in the way that they have to, to reshape this. And, and I specifically think that, um, I mean, anybody who's been in the military uh, will tell you that evangelical Christianity is pretty common in particular branches of yeah. service. And then certainly sure. as you get higher and higher in rank, it gets to the point where basically everyone is right. Um, sure. Yeah. And so like this stuff is, it, it's wrapped up. But I think for me, there is, you know, some competent storytelling in here, I suppose. And there's things where you're like, okay, this, this is not necessarily all bad. It's not just, you know, like, like horrible static the entire time. But the idea, in a way, that makes it even more insidious because yeah. you, when yeah. when those when those hammer blows fall of like, no, here is yeah. the message you're gonna receive. <laughs> like it, it feels so jarring, and in a way, like I I just think of yeah, you know, kids being you know the sort of veg, pre veggie tales kind of generation mm-hmm. of kids yeah. being sort of made to listen to this. That, what that's right. how it forms you know your conception of the world. What do you think mm-hmm. that those shifts in the narrative are going to look like based on you know where we've been and where we're going? I mean, I think there's always got to be this grand betrayal narrative. That's the thing, right? Like someone's going to have to have lost the war for us. And I don't know who it's going to have been, but you know, like that. Yeah, it's kind of like who lost China, but for Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's a great, that's a really great point. Yeah, that like the sort of a lot of the militant anti-communism and Red Scare stuff was just like this epistemic collapse on the part of basically Mm -hmm. every conservative to like center right person who either had spent their childhood as missionaries in China or knew someone who had like, it's, that's a very mm, right. salient point there. I and, mean, and I, the John Birch Society is named after a missionary who was killed. In I China. didn't know that. Wow. I didn't know that's that. who John Birch wow. was. Oh, yeah, wow. it wasn't. He wasn't. Um, he wasn't a victim of the state in sort of the regular way. He was killed in sort of a weird moment of confusion um, by a couple of soldiers. Mao officially apologized for the death of John Birch immediately after it happened. Uh, it, it was this sort of really tragic freak mm. event. And then the the John Birch Society arose from that from this idea that the state is uh, persecuting all of our Christians yeah. and killing them in cold blood the way that they killed John Birch. It, mm. it is going to be interesting to me to see though how this winds up happening and how these sorts as we get older these things you know get retold and repackaged and and, and sort of summed up you know because I really mm-hmm. do think that that is a facet of I mean everywhere in the world is like this but specifically in America and the way that our mass culture works that people kind of absorb lessons, heavy handed lessons from entertainment and, right. and this kind of thing. Like you said, when yeah. it's, you know, explicitly evangelical Christian, um, explicitly political entertainment, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I know that, that, uh, there's going to be some betrayal narrative about, about who lost the wars yeah. and whatever and so on, because that always seems to happen. And, um, or, I mean, you could maybe go down the route of something like Korea that was completely forgotten. Sure. Um, but yeah, I don't right. know. I really don't know. I just I, it, it kind of feels like with Afghanistan and Iraq, they were forgotten while they were still. Going yeah. On. Yeah. I like mean, they just dragged them out yeah. long enough that any anti-war movement dissipated. Yeah. And it just they, they made it as a, as little a part of our life as possible until the moment we say, oh, we're we're pulling out. And then you hear about every single day. To be honest with you, and, that was a very strange moment for me watching all of the the freakouts in August and all of the pantomime yeah. stuff around like mm-hmm. 13 troops and like putting 13 beers out and stuff like that. Because I mean, part of me was like, well, for one, some of those troops were too young to drink. So what the fuck are you doing? I mean, that, that should, that should give you a lot of shame. The yeah. fact that we have literal fucking minors, like technically yeah. speaking, unable yeah. to drink Ugh. alcohol, dying, fucking evacuating an airport. But then also like the fact that a bunch, 
probably hundreds, if not thousands of people died in that attack because of both the explosions and people being shot in the, in, in, in the confusion afterwards by American soldiers the day before right. Right. troops on the ground right. did kill like three people. I mean, that is just, it, it was a, 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 it was an absolute abomination in my opinion. But I'd also say too, that anybody who was there who had their eyes open, I knew this was going to happen one way or the other. It was going to end this way. And I knew that yeah. I was there in 09, 10, I knew it was going to happen. And so I know that there is, there is a way in which this is going to be um, absorbed and digested and repackaged uh, by this kind of like, yeah, like millenarian yeah. victimhood complex. And mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and, 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 but I guess in a way, the folksiness of it, the, the British, British people love twee shit and American stuff isn't quite as twee, but like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It borders on it with this kind of a thing when it is. This show actually has quite a bit of an audience in the UK. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I, I, I hope, hope all they have to do is launch like a super gender critical version of it and like have one episode that supports turf talking points. And all of a sudden the BBC will be like, every child has to fucking watch Adventures in Odyssey. So, so they, they did that in 2017. Oh, so, yeah. well. Oh, no. Not surprised. Well, um, I feel like this is, this is as good of a time yeah. as any to wrap up. Um, Unless you had anything else about that that you wanted to no, get man, off your I'm chest No, man, I'm probably rambling a little bit, but I appreciate Like, I wouldn't say I appreciated it before the episode started because I was like, man, what the fuck is this? Oh, I don't like this <laughs> shit. What the fuck is this shit? But, but this, this has been my entire... You're the first guest that we've had on who was not already familiar with the show. We had Scott yep. Benson on earlier, and we had my friend Rob on who had both listened to this show growing yeah. up. And so I, I was... I was waiting for this moment. I was drooling. I was just like, we're going to force this on people. We're going to force this on good people who don't deserve this. <laughs> I am the and constant we're gonna one. see what they do. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, I'm, I'm not the only the thing I had the point of reference of like uh, Mormon movies and Mormon radio plays yeah, and stuff right. like that. But I, I would have gone at first. I was like, man, two hours. Fuck, that's long. But like we could go in longer, like honestly. Yeah, so, yeah. I appreciate yeah. you guys' preparation and stuff. And I, I just, yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, well, you're always welcome to come back on. Well, I genuinely want to, to come back on. <laughs> <Odyssey. laughs> well, and we're, we're happy too to like, you know, I, I we, we yeah. mentioned like, uh, what a hell of a, what a hell of a way. I'm sure that like Brian and I, and, and maybe AJ too, would be happy to come, you guys on, come on, on Odyssey. Or, yeah. or I can come back on to talk about the episode about, uh, Witt's son dying in Vietnam. I feel like that would be. We a could pretty recap good that one. one again. It's an interesting. Well, well, we could actually do the episode with. Oh Jerry yes, from we from should after do that, House and we could also show. do the Pearl Harbor episode. Um, <laughs> yes, hell yeah, which yeah, is guys, just very nuanced. The Pearl Harbor, Harbor episode, episode in, sure. in much the same way as like these are just you know knockoffs. Of things. There, there's actually a couple of episodes with Connie's uncle too yeah. beyond the Pearl Harbor. But the Pearl Harbor, episode, Harbor the Pearl Harbor yeah. episode is just Torah, Torah, Torah. Um, yeah, the, yeah. The, the woman who voices Connie also plays every kamikaze pilot, actually. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> that is not true. But boy, howdy, would that be funny. Um, so uh, is there anything in terms of we'll what we will cut into the edit real quick? Uh, Nate, is there anything that you wanted to uh, to pitch or talk about before we wrap up here? No, I can, I can just plug my shows again. We talked at the top of the show, yeah. but I can just do it again real fast. Go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, thank you again for for having me on and for your listeners, if you're interested in hearing me talk more, I am always on pretty much every episode of what a hell of a way to die. I'm not on as many trash yeah. future episodes because I'm the producer and there's five cast members. So 
Five plus a guest yeah. is basically like like a fucking D12 concert. So Too many I, it's, it's just again, I'm like, I don't know how you do all These of chicks these don't shows, even know the name especially of my band. Trash Future. I did one episode of this where we had five people. That was chaos. <laughs> that was, it's like, madness. Yeah. I lost half I, of my I, I've gotten I've gotten one. gotten used to it. But yeah. Um but I, I am on um the shows that I that I produce or that I edit are yeah, What a Hell of a Way to Die, Trash Future, Lines Led by Donkeys, Bottleman, and Kill James Bond. Um, Hell of a Way to Die is and they're all good. They're oh, all great thanks. shows. Uh, Hell of a Way to Die is uh, is a show basically where myself and another l- left, we'll say leftist, left leaning army veteran. I'm probably mm-hmm. to the left of Francis just because I fucking hate Britain and it's radicalized me further. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, talk about military and veteran stuff, but from specifically from a left wing anti. Yeah, Francis is a monarchist, and that's a little. <laughs> no, Francis. Francis is a cultural Catholic from St. Louis, so like he yes. just wants to be left the fuck alone. And he wants to own guns. Um, but yeah, he also believes mm-hmm. in like mutual aid and stuff like that. Uh, where yeah. whereas I basically want to be climate Stalin, but. The thing I'd say is, yeah, like we talk about this stuff, and so if the troop angle interests you, that's that's something we talk about all the time. Um, yeah. And uh, and yeah, like thank you again for listening, and thanks guys for putting together such a great episode. Well, listen, next time that you see the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting <laughs> in air, just think about one of our most important fundamental Christian documents, the national anthem. Yeah, I'm the worst of all possible Joshes. I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible brides. I'm simply Nate. Malanga, everyone. Simply Nate. Simply Nate. Simply Nate. (laughs) (laughs) So many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Oh, hello. I, I, I didn't see you there. Just kidding. Of course I did. I've always seen you there. You've been there for so long now. Thank you for listening to us. Check out Nate's many, many podcasts. And I would, of course, like to thank our sponsors, which are not whatever deranged thing AJ Diddy is coming up with. I I didn't. I'm recording this before he. But I would like to thank our real sponsors, who are our patrons at Patreon. They include Aeneas Hemphill, Andrew Kilroy, Ari Rodriguez, Ben Ferber, Benjamin R. Alford, Bill Corby, Dave Skolar, Davis Vandesteeg, Dominic Russo, Earl Reynolds, Ian JV, Nate Netsley, Nell Johnson, Octavia Immersive, Olivia Hernandez, Scott M, Tony Diddy, Trevor Strunk, what a hell of a way to die, with a very special thank you to Ashley Stoneman, Dara Swisher, Hannah White, Nikola Donov, Sam Borman, and Timmy Sexton. All right, folks, I guess I, I just usually say, uh, like, have a good one. I'll just say that again. <laughs>